Hey Blenders, on this week's show we talk about Black Widow dropping at the box office. We review the new film Old and M. Night Shyamalan is this week's guest. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, Blenders, and welcome. Welcome to episode number 174 of Real Blend, a podcast that has a twist ending this week. On this week's show, One of Black us is Widow... Dead. <laughs> We've been dead the whole time. Uh, Black Widow drops at the box office, uh, and I mean drops significantly. Uh, old reviews. We're going to talk about it. I'm not oh, Sean. The, 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 the drops. Come on. It wasn't, it, it wasn't even an end. It wasn't really an endgame joke. It was more just that the box office plunged. Yeah, kind of but, was. Uh, yeah. yeah, I guess that is kind of I guess it is. Uh, and our guest. Our guest this week is very exciting. It's M. Night, M. Night Shyamalan uh, joining the show. We are, oh my God, you guys are in for a treat. This one is fantastic. He is a perfect uh, real blend guest. He fits in beautifully. So much you so. You guys are going to love that conversation. I think he's going to take Gabe's spot as fourth right. chair. He literally invited us over to his house yeah. multiple times. As and you guys, I as you have guys to say, and we're going to toss this shortly after we get to our poll, but like we started the show, you know, in 2000, was it 17? Uh, what year did we start it? Uh, end of Jeez. 2017? Yeah, January of 18. Right. And like we, we, also, we started the show again as an award show. And we never expected to get anybody on the show guest-wise. Um, M. Night is one of the biggest directors ever for our lifetimes. Um, and the fact that he's on our show is an insane thing to say. I know we've had a lot of big directors on our show, but getting M. Night was a really special one for us. So I'm really excited we have him. And also, not to detour not to detour too far off of that, too, but when we started this show, uh, someone suggested we should get interviews. And I believe all of us were like, Man, I don't want to do interviews. We do interviews in our <laughs> in our free time. Like that that's our job. Can't this just be fun? And now like now our best interviews kind of. And, come that, from and this now it's show. like, what do you mean we don't have an interview? How the hell are we gonna talk yeah. to each other? <laughs> I mean, for me personally, yeah. this is Very the kind true. of show I always dreamed of. And because I did a radio show when I uh, at CBS a long time ago and to talk to people in longer form, like the fact that our show has turned into this is exactly what I had hoped one day. So this is awesome. We might have some fun ones coming up. Um, so that's Kevin McCarthy of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. The other voice is Jake Hamilton of Fox 32 in Chicago. And of course, 
the wonderful Gabe Kovach, producer in the chair. Uh, I'm Sean O'Connell, managing editor of Cinema Blend, and let's get to some housekeeping because we've got a lot of episode to get to. Uh, if you're watching us on YouTube, hello, hit subscribe, turn on your notifications. Go to the description area um, where, oh, Gabe, people were yelling at us because in the description area, there was not a form. The form for the Tarantino books. I fixed working. it. Did you figure uh, that out? Well, Did unless you? the link in the, if the article form wasn't working, that is beyond me. Um, but there yes. was like an hour or so when it launched where I forgot to put that in the description, the link itself, but I fixed ah, it. Gotcha. So it's there now. Did we give those away yet? Uh, I think they're pulling them today or tomorrow. Ooh, exciting. Yes. So by the, time, by, the time, Tarantino books? by the time people yeah. listen to this, I think I think it's over by the time they listen to it. Okay. I hope okay. I win one. You have one already. Uh, you can't win another one. Not with that attitude. Uh, all right. And then, of course, we're available wherever your podcast needs met. Um, one of the things you can read about in the descriptions is how to sign up for Roblox Premium. It is a way to get an ad-free experience with the show. You get two newsletters a month from me based on topics that I like to discuss. And then you get a bonus episode of Real Blend every Monday. So make sure you go to cinemablend.com backslash Real Blend Premium and check out whether you think uh, that's something that would interest this, you. This yes, week was a Gabe. notable episode. This was our oh. behind the scenes look at the Quentin Tarantino live. Oh, that was cool. Show. That was really cool. Yeah. We don't do those very often. Aren't we? But, but it was a good aren't one. Aren't we officially uh, a year of premiums now too? This week, next week, <clears throat> next Monday, episode 52 drops, which is what so, I find... See if what you, I find strange is I, I have to pay five dollars a month just to text Gabe. I don't. I don't know how that. Yes. Did that where, where did that come? <laughs> no, about? no, no. What's his name in your phone? Oh, <laughs> Babe. Now, Babe. We are we are all on a very uh, a, a text thread that we text hundreds animated hundreds of times a day and jake accidentally wrote babe the other day instead of gabe um it was just an autocorrect or whatever it was so his his keyboard knew what he was trying to right. say right but officially he is <laughs> it was in fact correct yeah he is babe in my phone so i'm excited That's amazing all right weekly poll let's get to the weekly poll knowing that we we're gonna have m night Shyamalan on he this was not an if it happens this had already happened uh and not wanting to get into tell us your favorite Shyamalan. Uh, movie, what we burrowed down into is performance. So, Jake, I'm going to give you this one. Ooh. I gave three choices. Um, and in a way, I'm a little bit glad that I uh, picked one because I would have felt stupid if I left it out. Yeah. Uh, I gave the people to choose from Tony Collette from The Sixth Sense. Right. Bryce Dallas Howard from The Village. James McAvoy from Split or Other. So, first off, tell me... Uh, what you think the people picked, I, and then you can also tell I me what you would pick. I think, even though Tony Collette got an Oscar nomination, as did Haley Joel Osment for Sixth Sense, I hope people understand just how incredible James McAvoy's performance is. And I think Kevin would agree with me on this. I think he deserved an Oscar nomination for Split. Mm. I think there's a solid argument to say he deserved an Oscar for Split. Um, and, and you guys, I don't think I'm hyper or hyperbolic when it comes to like throwing out Oscars and all that sort of stuff. So I believe Split, James McAvoy for Split, and, so, and I'm going to say people feel the same way. 76% of the people said Split. Ah, that's it. That's what I'm talking and about. And I almost forgot him. Like, I was going to try to really get a Bruce Willis or a Sam Jackson, yeah. you know, performance in there. Um, but then at the last minute, I was like, oh my God, that's right. McAvoy was so amazing in Split. Yeah. Um, 
It's just, it blows me away that M. Night gets really great performances yeah, out of people. Yeah. We're going to talk about old, you know, and, and old for um, for its premise and everything and his camera works and how impressive his camera work is. It's got great performances in it. You know, he just, he works really well with actors. And I think that that gets overshadowed by um, by his writing and some of his yeah. camera techniques. Kev, where would you I have mean, gone? In all honesty, I rewatched The Village this weekend. See, I'm, I'm a... Um... There are a few of his films that I think are are are, are not well received in, in an unfortunate way. I think The Village and Lady in the Water are two excellent films of his. And I think Bryce Dallas Howard's performance in The Village and Lady in the Water are incredible. Um, he, like you said, he has so many amazing actors. I forgot Joaquin Phoenix was even in The Village. I hadn't, you know, I hadn't yeah. seen The Village in, in years. I remember light, I loved it in theaters. I revisited it a few years later. Liked it and borderline loved it. And then I rewatched it this weekend and I love that film. It's it's an incredible film and I get the criticisms behind it. I didn't see that ending coming. And I think Phoenix is amazing. I love the village. There's a scene in that movie. Uh, well, I guess we, uh, am I allowed to say anything about spoilers from the village, Gabe, or is that too, too soon? 2000. Oh, uh, you can spoil. I mean, again, if you're going to say a spoiler, okay. just say, hey, I'm going to spoil it. Okay. And people can skip five, ten seconds. Ahead. I'm going to mention yeah. a village spoiler. So there's a scene where Joaquin Phoenix's character gets stabbed by Adrian Brody. Um, and the way that scene is directed uh, in terms of the camera work and the, the expression on Joaquin's face, we don't know the knife is in him yet. And it's just incredible like silence in that scene and it's so deafening um i mean m night m night i think deserves more credit i think a lot of people are in a, in a bubble where they think oh he's the twist guy and then when he doesn't deliver a good twist you people get mad at the film and i think that lady in the water was the movie that kind of threw that the other way around like he was like you want a twist i'm not going to give you one essentially um and i thought that to me I think he's one of the better filmmakers working today. And I think he's I think that there is some negativity that is spewed at him that is just not right. I think people are people Hold are just on. brutal to him for some reason. You OK, you just rewatched Village. So I have to ask you something because I watched it with Brendan maybe a year ago and I'm blanking now when they lock Adrian Brody in that room. Yes. After he stabs Joaquin. What's buried under the floorboards? Is it the red costume? He, he, well, no, he escapes under the floorboards. I'm, I, I actually don't remember where he gets the costume from. Okay, maybe that's what it is. Because then I just found it kind of amusing that, like, the room they put him in was the one that had, well, like, the floorboard that came loose and or a hole that he got out. There was something in the floorboards that I thought well, he got The shot you're referring to is when they, when they eventually figure out that he escaped, they have a shot overhead yeah. of the floorboard open i don't i don't know yeah. or remember specifically i may have gotten up to go to the bathroom i don't remember now but i don't know that he got the 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 actual costume from down there you're talking about the scene later on where he runs into bryce dallas howard in the woods and they have that interaction and then yeah. he falls off yeah, the yeah, cliff yeah. um i don't yeah, yeah, yeah. well it's, forgive me if i'm mistaken this or not but they kept the 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 wardrobe in those boxes as well right or those boxes had things from modern day in them as well like cell phones and things yeah i think so, so i don't know where yes. they kept yeah i don't know where he got that one from man in addition to that cast because that cast also had sigourney weaver and william hurt like m night gets amazing yeah. actors also so. i really think and you know i don't take it any further but like i think signs is one of mel gibson's best performances Mm -hmm. Like that that yeah. moment on the couch where he basically confesses to Joaquin, like like I don't think God is out there anymore. Yeah. Like no one yeah. is like that's incredible. Incredible. Do we all agree his masterpiece wow. is Unbreakable? No. Where are we on his masterpiece? No. I think I think it's Sixth Sense. See, I think Sixth Sense is is a phenomenal film. His second best movie. I think Unbreakable is his genuine masterpiece from a filmmaking standpoint. I, I uh, yeah. 
I think I have to go six cents. Mm-hmm. And I hate to give this to something that's so early in the process, yeah. but um, but it's just such a game. Where are you, film. real so, fast? But listen, that's not why. Um. Oh my God. Uh. You know, I never seen any. No, there's there was one I, I haven't seen Glass. I don't think it's gonna be Glass, glass. but I haven't I haven't caught up on Glass. Um, probably Sixth Sense. I really liked Unbreakable, but it didn't hit me. I've only seen it maybe three times. Rewatch and it's it. been it's been a while. Mm. Uh, but Sixth Sense sounds right. Mm. Feels right. Okay. Well, the reason we're getting M Night on the show is for his new film Old, uh, which we will review later on the show. And so I don't want to guys, I don't want to make make you guys wait any longer because uh, this is a fantastic conversation that I think you're all going to enjoy. Uh, M Night Shyamalan joining the Real Blend Podcast. Well, thank you very much for joining the Real Blend Podcast. Obviously, I'm Kevin. That's Jake right there. And that's Sean O'Connell. And uh, we are honored to have you on our show. This is a deep dive filmmaking podcast that we started a few years ago. So it's an honor to have you on. I'm going to start off with this because we just did this uh, interview with Quentin Tarantino recently. And we got into a discussion about aspect ratios. And I was actually going through your filmography. And it's really interesting the choices you made as a director. Sixth Sense was 185. Unbreakable was 239. And Signs, you went back to 185. Village, you went back to 185. Glass was 239 and now you're doing 239 here and I was actually interested in knowing in terms of a storyteller what the aspect ratio does for you and why certain films are 185 and why other films are 239 and what what that means to you as a storyteller you know what a what a fantastic question wow this is this is I'm already so geeking out this is a fantastic question (laughs) you're in the right place you're in the right place you're killing it you know, the, 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 that composition is so critical because it's, it's a window that we're looking through. The, 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 the art form of cinema is, is a kind of an insinuative art form. What's on this side? What's on this side? What are you, you know, do you do the Woody Allen thing when people come in and out of frames? You know, um, you know, I can show someone looking at someone and just off their reactions, imagining the person on the other side of frame. So the, the aspect ratio is critical. I, I find that the 185 is the, uh, they say, is the closest to what we what we see naturally, mm. and that so then two three nine would be a slightly more kind of artistic frame, and then you know as you go down to kind of more TV formats and things like that, it's more boxy and things like that. We just watched Silence of the Lambs in our theater again for the one millionth time, and <laughs> that, you know seeing in that in unusual boxy format was fascinating. It had a kind of a and you know Jonathan when he, before he passed away, we talked about it, and he. You know, he had to kind of use that boxiness to, to create a claustrophobia, he was saying. And, and for me, the kind of the artistry of the frame, that unbreakable composition, and you see it here in old, especially on a beach, you know, I, I kind of do it based on the subject matter on, and the place that we're in and the cinematographer's uh, affinities. So we have mm-hmm. a conversation to see if they're comfortable with it, if they, you know, embrace it and... And so, and even when I'm drawing, because I draw everything out, so I draw every single frame in the film is drawn. So, you know, does it does it lean itself to that? And you can imagine on a beach, if I show, a, you know, if I do like a Kurosawa kind of frame with a profile of someone sitting here and profile and someone looking straight at us, so you're getting kind of different aspects of the emotion. They're not looking at each other. It's very graphic that 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 more uh, horizontal frame, which I I prefer. Uh, I prefer <laughs> that 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 horizontal frame. Um, and it's certainly in this this day and age, just the nomenclature of how we receive stories, it says to you it's it's cinema. So the, huh. the more horizontal it gets, the more it becomes cinema uh, in our minds, you know, and, and, and it's unusual. I, um, I, I, they even put warning, you know, 
this goes to that whole thing of like, you know, you get like flat screen TVs or you go to my parents' house and you watch, look at their TV, which they know I want to pick up and smash on the ground every time I go in there. I can't even, I can't even, I just turn it off because their, their power goes out no matter what I set it to. It goes back to that preset garbage with the, with the, all of that stuff. And I'm like, oh my God, don't Do they watch. ever watch your movies? No way, part? dude. I, I won't let anybody watch any, any, while I'm there, you can't watch anything on that thing. I mean, I'm bad. Watch Wheel of Fortune all you want on that, but you don't put anything else on there but Wheel of Fortune, okay? I forbid you to watch anything on this. But to imagine, you know, when you, by the way, so like Chris and I and so many others, we fought for that filmmaker mode on those TVs, right? Mm. And, but it's so buried in the, in the uh, menus. It, you have to like to fight your way in there and find it. And then they have a warning there that says, hey, don't turn this on because it'll make it darker. <laughs> like they're warning you. So what non-filmmaker is going to be like, they're going to never put that on. And so this thing also, you know, they would, they would warn you about letterbox and putting the black on. But I, I definitely prefer it for this movie because it's a horizontal um, plane, the beach, that to do this, this ratio it was, was, our, was our best bet. It was an easy decision, and especially after we decided to shoot on film as well. 35, wow. man. This, it was That's amazing. Awesome. Would you like to be the next member of Real Blend? Because you, you fit right into this podcast very well. You just slide right in. That's right. There's, look, right there. There's a space right there. It could be a four. Like, You're, in. Four of them. You're, You're in. in. You're in. Let's do you know, it. You make some really great, unique, uh, creative camera choices with this film. And the only other thing you've done that sort of reminded me that it's in the vein of uh, is Servant, which anyone that's listening, if you haven't seen Servant, you got to watch it because it's brilliant. But I'm sort of curious, do you ever, do you use Servant to like try out different tricks, camera tricks, different angles and that you then might one day use on the big screen? Not the, not the angles, but the premise. So for example, what, it, what um, Servant really taught me was thinking of a story as a sequence, one sequence only. So because the reason I thought like that is because like if you see the ones that I directed, so like the, the pilot or 109, which I directed, um, the, um, these, and, and by the way, yesterday Marshall got nominated for cinematography for the episode we did on right. Servant, which is great. But like that episode that he got nominated for cinematography, it's a, it's a sequence of a half an hour. So I started thinking in terms of cinematic language in, in a, of a half an hour. So don't do the close-up here. When are you going to do, how do you evolve into the kind of language? And when I started thinking about it as a sequence, I went, could I do a two-hour sequence? Is it possible to think of the whole movie as a movement of a language? And I, that has affected me. And I think when you see the tumbling nature of old, that, that's come from my uh, experimentations in, in Servant of saying this is... Um, the, the nomenclature we're using for this episode. Like, if you guys come to the offices and you guys are always welcome to come to see Servant Offices, you see on my, on my wall the, the, the last episode I directed, I keep the, the boards up. And you can just watch the whole episode right there. I don't shoot coverage. Oh. That's it. That's what we shoot. And it's, wow. there's a rhythm to it. And so, like, when you're watching old, hopefully, you, you felt a certain cadence to it of movement, of, like, for example, um, how do you use the camera and detach it from the things that are happening so it's independent of the events that are happening? And so, so like time, that it is ignorant of that you're, you're, it's not stopping on you. It just keeps moving and moving independent and you'll catch some things. They will, they will be on camera. Some will be off camera. 
that as a language, for example. And then we had many of those, like, this is the language of the piece. Knight, um, one of the things I don't think you get enough credit for is your casting. Uh, you find amazing actors who perfectly fit uh, the roles you need them for. I went back and rewatched The Village recently with my young son and was blown away by how great Bryce Dallas Howard is at such a young age. Um, you can write this story out and you can storyboard it if you want, but if you don't find the right actors to play, especially the kids, because their leap is the most significant to us believing the story. So I cannot say how much I was blown away by Thomason uh, and by um, Eliza and Alex. How early in the process do you find them? Uh, like, were they crucial casts for you? And what were you looking for when you were going after those roles? Yeah, well, you, you nailed it. This is, this is a jigsaw puzzle, as most of the films are, but this one more so than anything, right? It has to be a jigsaw puzzle. How do you cast? What age do you cast first? Who are you casting first? They are a family. They have to look like each other. Who goes first, right? Mm. And uh, the decision was uh, those three first. That mm. was the decision. Mm. Find those three. Who plays Trent from, you know, 15 to 30? Who plays, you know, Maddox from 15 to 30? And who plays, you know, th those three? So mm. when we ended up finding Eliza and Thomason and Alex, I went, all right, now cast the rest of the movie off of that. And so those were the three. And, it, you know, super lucky for me that, that the advantage I have, I have two advantages. Uh, one is people audition for me. That's, that is, it, it feels like such a simple thing, right? But this is how it works in Hollywood. You're an actor, you audition your whole life, you audition, you get great roles, you, you audition and find your breakthrough roles, then you stop auditioning. Mm. And now you're mm. offered movies. Um, mm. And no one, you and them don't know whether this is the right fit. So they, it suddenly tips into the blind, you go into this blind process, which sometimes works and sometimes doesn't work, you know? And then mm. the actors start to do things that it feels safer. And then the filmmakers are maybe making less organic, less organic choices and more kind of cerebral choices about casting for, for you know, are they big stars, all of that stuff. And I try to uh, urge the actors to audition for me. And I say, please risk um, this, this moment of possible rejection to see if you, me, and that character are right for each other in this moment. And mm. you, you, these are the, like the, all the actors, every single one of them would never do the things that got them there. And I always tell that to mm. them. You, the things you risked to do to get to where you were and get that amazing part, you now right. wouldn't do those things. So mm. you, you're never gonna find, you know, it's the exact right actor at that exact right time. You know what's so scary about dude is that there's only one that feels right. And okay. so it's mm. like Thomas in red for, and a thousand young women red, but it was Thomas in, and I literally get this like pang in my thing. Mm. If we can't get her, I, I don't even want to make the movie. It's like, you know, yeah, like yeah. get sure. her. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. know, yeah. and, yeah. and yeah. I feel that way each and every time, like Eliza, when she, I was like, man, this is this, it has to be her, you know, that kind right. of thing. And so it's this beautiful magic that happens. And then you can imagine that in this movie, trying to find a little ch child, like a boy that looks like Alex Wolf, you know, <laughs> and, and that has the kind of right energy, the quirky energy, this kind of, you know, um, erudite precociousness. There's one kid, there's one kid in the world yeah, that looks sure. like him and can do that. This is how like finite it is. It, it's, uh, so it's a ma it feels very magical to me when, awesome. you know, Haley walks through the door or Abigail Breslin walks through the door or Bryce Dallas Howard. 
to me, yeah. it's like a neon sign. Like, you know, Ooh. like they have this big sign saying, it's me, and there's only one of me. And like, I get very like, please tell me we're going to cast this person. Don't tell me, you know, get them right. I get very panicky, you know, about it. Mm-hmm. And I tr- I've been better about trying to stay calm during. Luckily, everyone we offered it to said yes. And amazingly, they were all very courageous in an equal way about the pandemic because this definitely could have been one where they were like, I'm out. Mm. Yeah. You know, one thing I find really super interesting is this idea that making this film kind of helped you work through anxieties of like losing parents or losing children to adulthood. And so I'm actually interested in exploring that a little more in the sense of did it actually help you and how did it help you Uh, after making the film and after you finished the film? Did it actually work to help your anxieties? And for your other films, like even like Sixth Sense or Unbreakable, were those films that helped you work through other anxieties in your life? I just read a book about um, the psychology of kind of healing and, you know, how we um, do unhealthy habits. So, for example, they found that if you complain a lot and you complain to your friends a lot, say you have a close friend and you're complaining and, oh, my God, my boss is blah, 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 whatever it is. Oh, my girlfriend, blah, 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 you know, that kind of and that person's like, yeah, yeah. And they let you keep complaining you're not getting better. You're actually, you're actually getting your, your, the, the neural pathways are deepening. And so ideally you want somebody that gives you perspective. And that, so that person goes, hey, you know, but she, you know, the girlfriend is going through a tough time because of her father, whatever it is, gives you perspective on the whole mm. thing. That's the only thing to help you. But when you write it down, they found that journaling mm. actually does help you. When you say, today I was on a podcast and I said some stupid things that I, I really feel embarrassed about, right? And I write it down. It loses its power over me because I'm like, I'm, I, I create that little bit of space, like they say about meditation, you create that little bit of space to observe yourself and mm. what happened to you. And you actually heal. It gives you perspective like your friend does, the right friend. It gives you a little perspective. And these movies are an elaborate version of that for me. So they, you know, the talking about my fears, about my parents or my kids, and I get to watch it through these characters and detach just a little bit in a healthy huh. way and, and see, hey, this is natural. This is what you three are gonna go through and she's gonna go through and he's gonna go through and um, we're all part of this together. And not that it isn't any less painful or scary, but you find courage and you find some aplomb or grace to handle it. Wow, hmm. that's beautiful. Um, Knight, you and I spoke the other day and, and I asked you about the distance between coming up with the mystery and coming up with, with the resolution or with the answer. And you said a lot of times you'll start the process not knowing what the ending is going to be. And it's kind of fun for you to discover. I'm sort of curious though, what is the furthest you've gotten in the story without having the answer? Did you, have you ever reached a point of panic where you're writing and then go like, shit, I don't really know where this is going to go. Well, I mean, uh, it's always some iteration of that. I'd say Split probably was the one that I didn't, you know, I was like, maybe I shouldn't put anything about the end. Maybe this is just a standalone and I don't tell them anything about the unbreakable part. And we'll, and then the third movie will come out and we'll say, you remember that, those two <laughs> movies there? So for a long time, I, you know, when I wrote that movie, I didn't put the end scene on. I, I handed it to studio without that end scene on. We shot it without that end scene on. Um, we preview it without that end scene on, all of that mm. stuff. And then the, the best part was I shot, I, I had a very subtle version of that scene at the end of Split. And then 
I went and I went, I said, you know, let's just go for it. Let me call Bruce, say, hey dude, would you come to Philly for like three <laughs> hours and shoot this thing for me? And he was like, why, what? And I was like, well, I did this movie and it's kind of in the unbreakable world. I don't know if we'll ever shoot the what. You want to just come for three hours, bro? And he was like, yeah, yeah, I'll come. And then we came, we went to a diner. We didn't tell anybody. The crew didn't even know what we were shooting. And he walks in and they're like, what? And only the actors that were saying the lines and him, and he sat down, we shot the thing, he left, and the, the crew members were like, does this mean? And I was like, don't even talk about it. Let's just move on. Move on with life. The, by the way, the greatest thing happened was, imagine this, just imagine this, because I pay for my movies, right? It's such a weird situation. Just imagine this. I go to the Universal Studios, chairman, everyone, marketing team, everyone's in the theater. We, we pull down, go down the lights, and we play them split. They don't know the ending that they're mm. watching. They didn't even know I shot it because I didn't even send them the dailies of that. <laughs> then the lights go, the lights go down, they watch the whole movie of Split. Then this, this scene comes on and they're like, they're, they're completely flummoxed, right? And then the yeah. lights go on and, I, and they look at me and they're like, what, what are you saying? That's a Disney movie. <laughs> and, and, I go, and I go, it's all good. We have the permission to do it. And here you go. Can you imagine you're the chairman of a studio and the guy shows you that it's a sequel to a movie from another studio? <laughs> right, right, right. That, that's it was, crazy. It was that's so such that, a Hollywood thing that like that's what they took from that twist. Like, shit, we no longer have the rights to this. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. you, they were like, what are we doing with this? You're referencing yeah. a Disney character. Knight, <laughs> um, the, the movie seems to present two life lessons uh, as we get through it. And again, I'm trying to stay away from spoilers, but everybody knows it's about time, essentially. And the two that my wife and I sort of argued about after the screening was, is, is the message kind of like, hey, slow down, appreciate each moment because time is moving really quickly? Or is the message a little bit, um, hey, time is moving really fast, so you better accomplish everything you need to accomplish? I'm curious where you are at in your stage right now. Definitely the first uh, of those. You know, I think it's, you know, w when we try to hurry up to accomplish something, we're trying to beat time. We're kind of, we think of it as a race. Like, I mean, accumulate all these points in the video game before the time runs out. And that's, that's a fool's errand. It just is. You, 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 um, you, you end up, you know, um, realizing, you know, because I had success really early, really young, you know, I get to tell my kids, hey, you know, because they look at it going, you know, they're now 20, 21, 24, you know, those kind of thing. And I, you know, and, and I was saying, you know, the illusion of winning the game uh, went away quickly uh, for mm -hmm. me. And um, so now I can say, you know, honestly, like, for example, no joke, just for real, just the four of us talking. This is a big deal that we get to talk about cinema and be here. Forget it's to promote a movie or any of that stuff. Yeah. This, this should be, this should be. You know, I need to remember this, that the four of us had this conversation. I'm super lucky to meet you guys and have this conversation about this. That's it. There is no end game to this. It should be, yes, we're about here for old and all that stuff. But this is the kind of thing I'm trying to remember, like, be here right this second and, and enjoy it. I'm trying to talk, you know, talk to my kids about that as they're beginning that journey into society's race about accumulation of things.
Great yeah. lesson. Yeah, that's incredible. I I um I'm so happy this film is coming out in theaters. Obviously, and you shot it on 35 millimeter, and it was crazy talking to Vicky the other day because I one of my favorite theatrical experiences of all time was seeing Phantom Thread on 70 millimeter at the ArcLight, and PTA had this like awesome uh, curated soundtrack that played before the movie started, and and just like theatrical experiences like that are are so special to me, and a lot of your films have been so special to me in terms of the theatrical viewing, seeing them with strangers in a communal experience, having that audience reaction. So I wanted to ask you, what are some of your favorite theatrical experiences you had growing up? Um, were there certain films that like that you remember specifically being in the theater, watching it with a friend? Like what comes to mind as your favorite theatrical experiences? Oh man, I got too many. This podcast would go on for like a year and a half. <laughs> That's I, cool I, with I, us. I'll pick, That's cool. Uh, I'll, pick, I'll pick one. I'll pick one. You know, I always talk about the Raiders of the Lost Ark experience, so we won't talk about that. But I, I, um, I did tell uh, a, a British magazine this one. So we went to see uh, this movie, which I didn't know quite what it was about, but everybody wanted to go see. It was called Fatal Attraction. So we went to the Ardmore Theater, and it was packed, and it was packed beyond fire code. Like, people were in the aisle. Back then, I guess they just let them, they kept selling tickets and let them sit in the aisle. It was packed. And a bunch of the kids from my high school went, and there was a girl that I was interested in who was there, and... She wasn't, she didn't think of me. I was, first of all, I was like two feet tall. She just didn't, you know, I was, I was like this little Indian kid. She just wasn't paying attention to me at all. But everyone in the school knew I wanted to make movies. Like they were, that was a ubiquitous knowledge of, uh, that the only Indian kid in school and he loves movies. And we, the movie came on, everyone screaming and all this stuff and Glenn Close and this and that. And then when it finished and the buzz in the theater lights came on and she leaned down across the, the row and looked over at me and goes, you need to make movies like that. And oh, that was it. So I guess that's I guess that's when I became a thriller maker right there. That's incredible. Wait, do you know wow. where she is? I don't know where she lives now. That person <laughs> told you to make the films that you're going to make today. That's unbelievable. I, yeah, you know, it's like primal stuff. You know, maybe it's always about getting the girl. I don't know, guys. You guys tell me. <laughs> That's right, awesome. uh, not, I'm going to squeeze in one more because we have just a couple of minutes left. Uh, a lot of times, uh, sometimes when people come over to my home here in Chicago, uh, they'll ask me one question, which is, do you know M. Night Shyamalan? And the reason they ask me that is because I have a framed picture of you and me with a, with a signed science poster right there. Um, my dog, Daenerys, that you can hear barking, is a big fan. I'm sort of curious, what is the coolest piece of movie memorabilia or the coolest like photo you have with someone in your home that people always talk to you about? Oh man, that's two, I have two answers to that. One is, um, you know, I try to, you know, meet some people that I admire. So I have, and I'll like, sometimes I'll just call them up and I'll say, hey, can I come and have lunch with you or that kind of thing? And so I have some photos in my house with like the hero, my heroes. Like I went and went to Detroit and saw Elmore Leonard. I called him up and I just said, could, oh. you, could I come, come, can I, could I, could I, hi, I'm Knight, could I come? And he's like, oh, I, I like your movies. And yeah, come on over. So I have this picture of me and Elmore Leonard. I've just flew to his house and we spent all day together. And Did you drink rum punch? Say it again? <laughs> Did you drink rum punch with him? No, but it's funny you should say that because he was sober and he's like, I said, hey, do you want to have a glass of wine? I didn't know that he was sober. And he was like, hell, let's drink together. I was like, he's like, I haven't had a drink in 16 years. I was like, bro, we're not doing this. No, <laughs> we're, not, we're not doing this. He's like, I'm, eight, I'm 80 years old. What is it, matter? You know, and I was like, no, 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 no. We're not doing this. Uh, so, but that's there. But my second answer is I have, 
uh, all the original Hitchcock posters in my house. So if you guys comment, <sighs> you know, you see all the first edition Hitchcock posters <sighs> uh, as you go to the theater. So that's my, I think the thing that, that <sighs> I cherish the most. Wow. Amazing. Rope, Rope <laughs> might be my ultimate Hitchcock film. I, I don't know if anybody, anybody else agrees, but Rope is like, my, I think might be his masterpiece. Or Vertigo. I don't know. They're so good. Rope, yeah, Night. I, just, I just saw that. It was amazing. I just saw it again. It was amazing. Oh, Night, God, we cannot Rope. thank you enough for going extra time on your day. Uh, we know you've been talking to everybody all day, but we've been dying to get you on the show, and uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to do it again soon. Congratulations with the movie and continued success. This was a blast. Hope you enjoyed it. Thanks, brother. Thank you so much. This wasn't even work. Take care, guys. We want to thank Universal Pictures uh, for going out of their way to giving us time with M. Night Shyamalan, who also stayed late on his press day in order to come onto the show and give us uh, some extra time. So thank you very much to everybody involved. Uh, and we'll discuss old a little bit later in the show. So let's get to talking points. This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Uh, and the experiment continues with movies that are opening in theaters to test the waters to see how comfortable people are in going back. And Black Widow, which got off to a strong start in its first weekend, uh, dropped a very significant 67.8% at the box office. And, you know, now we can start debating about what that necessarily means. Um, NATO, the North, no, National Association for Theater Owners, immediately came out and condemned the lack of a theatrical window, uh, an exclusive theatrical window saying that uh, Black Widow being available for Disney Plus uh, chipped away at people going back back out to the theaters in the second week uh, in order to um, support it and, and support. And this is this is a Marvel movie. This should be the type of film that draws people out to theaters. Uh, but the fact that it's available for $30 on Disney Plus in that premiere access uh, window seems to have heard it now it's i'm going to push back on that slightly because the week prior you know nato was trumpeting uh hey it did better in theaters and it did on on um disney plus to in an 80 million to 60 million kind of split and so you know clearly people want to come back out to theaters and then what's interesting too is that in this most recent weekend yes black widow dropped a lot but space jam did very well despite the fact that it was available on hbo max so i'm not quite sure that this drop for Black Widow 
says to me that it's the theatrical window versus this just isn't a Marvel movie that was going to draw out significant numbers of people. Yeah. Um, that's kind of where I'm at. Jake, where are you? No, I, I would agree with that. I think it's it was a little too early for NATO to make that comment just yet. I think um, I'm far more curious about where we go in terms of week three and four. Like, okay, yeah, it had a massive week two drop off. Uh, but does it sort of even out in weeks three and four? Um, mm-hmm. I, I do think it's curious, and we touched on this last week, that Disney did not release a week two Disney Plus number. Um, And I I think if it had been good, like more people were still buying it, I think they would have put that number out there, if anything, to negate that big week two drop. Um, Yeah, look, Space Jam came out. And also, you know, lest we not forget, we are still in a pandemic. Like Mm -hmm. things are not operating as normal. And yes, it's nice to see an $80 million opening. And it's nice to, but like to, to say, you know, like, hey, you know, three years ago, it's different than than it is. Well, yeah, of course it is. We're st- we're still not under the same circumstances. So, I think it was. I think it's a little unfair. We're we're not quite at a place where we can start in the same way that I, you know, if anyone tried to, even though I'm not a Fast and Furious fan, if anyone tried to knock those numbers, I'd say, well, of course, of course, they're not going to be as big as like a Fast Seven or Fast Eight. We're not. It's not the same circumstances. It's, it's maybe not exactly exactly apples and oranges, but I don't know. It's it's different. Well, I don't know, Kevin. What do you think? I mean, at the end of the day, I, I you guys know that I'm in full support of a theatrical window exclusively. Um, sure. And I think I think last week on the show we had a discussion about what that window should be, right? And you know, originally it was 90 days. Uh, Gabe made a point about being 45. I said, as long as there's exclusivity, uh, and I, I think I threw out like a week or two. I'm, in my personal opinion, I think it should be 45 or more, like Gabe said. But because of the times that we're in, I also understand that things are changing rapidly and changing all the time. Um, I do. Th- I, I don't have a really have a problem with NATO's comment. Uh, I think I think that type of comment needs to be said. Um, and I will say that, like at the end of the day, yes, we are in a pandemic, and so not everybody is feeling safe to go to a movie theater yet. But at the end of the day, it's it's your choice. And that's how it has been in terms of like theatrical windows forever. If a movie comes out in theaters and you don't want to go see it in theaters, you wait the 90 day window and then you watch it at home. Um, even in the middle mm-hmm. of a pandemic, I don't think that's a big ask to ask people. Like, can we give the theaters the exclusivity for whatever time frame they can? And I, I, you know, I threw out, like I told you, one or two weeks just because I feel like we have to kind of somehow come to a compromise. Is Universal still 17 Universal, days? Universal, they, they made that yes. deal with AMC where 17 days. So theoretically, old would be out on... But here's the question. How oh, long God. has Fast 9 been out in theaters? Good For question. whatever reason, Fast 9 was not being held right. to that 17-day window. I, I don't know why, but, the, but Universal, really interesting for point. some reason... Okay. didn't adhere to that 17-day window with F9. They absolutely <laughs> right. should have. If they're doing it for one of their titles, they should so do it for all that, of their titles. How did that happen? Because So F9 drops June 25th. The deal that we all saw made during the pandemic with AMC, and correct me if I'm wrong, was 17 days for an exclusive yeah. window in theaters. So theoretically, mm-hmm. right now, F9 should be available in your home, the, mm-hmm. according to that deal. But, well, but it's not, is that right? deal not 17 days? The 17 day is not just a minimum. It sounds like 17 days is just a minimum, oh. which is what's what AMC so would gonna want. They're going to pick and choose. They're going to yes, absolutely. Well, because the theaters aren't going right. to complain. Theaters aren't going to complain, it, and if they can get fifteen dollars sure. a person, they're going to take that over of course. your entire household yeah. getting it in one but, go. 
But I bet old is in, in is going to be available in 17 days because that feels like the kind of movie that people would say, I'm going to wait to right. see it. And I home. think uh, when it comes down to the NATO response, I mean, I said this last week, I, I, I think Black Widow's opening would have been much bigger um, than it was in terms of 80 uh, in theaters. Um, now, much bigger. I've seen numbers ranging between 110 to 120 to 130. It did 80 in theaters sure. and 60 on Disney+. And we discussed this last week that Disney... Uh, makes more money, right, in terms of uh, profit when they release it on Disney+. Plus. That's also a, a factor as well. Um, I do believe that the drop, there's, it's not a black and white answer. It's not just like, hey, it's on Disney+. Plus. It has, the, it's the pandemic. It's, you know, is the, the movie's not an Avengers level film in terms of like the, 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 the want to see it. I mean, Black Widow was a big movie, don't get me wrong, but did it have the anticipation of an Avengers movie? It did not. I think, I think even with the theatrical exclusive for several weeks, I think the second week drop on Black Widow, say if it was just in theaters, would have been about 55 okay. or 60. Okay, I think that's, I think that's, that's fair. fair. And, and totally understandable because that movie, you know, that, it's again, it's a film that was heavily delayed. It's I, a prequel. I, I agree with yeah. you. Um, I, would, I would love to see this conversation for a different movie. Um, I would love to see it yeah. for a Dune. I would love to see it for a Top Gun. I would love to see it for, and again, I don't know if Top, I'm sure Top Gun's exclusively theaters, but I'm just throwing out big movies that I would be very curious to see what their drop would be week to week. I just am not sure what movies are going to have legs that Fast much and anymore, Furious had pretty good legs for its first couple week, few weeks. I mean that, and again, it is dying mm. off now. Quiet Place, Quiet Place had had good Quiet legs. Place. I don't know what the drop what was. The drop, yeah, Quiet though. Place had the um, smallest drop in the top ten, despite the fact that it became available on PVOD. Right, and that movie okay. came out, I guess, a month on PVOD later mm-hmm. than the theaters. So you know, in all honesty, Paramount doing a month. Listen, I'll, I I missed the ninety day thing because that was like, it just felt safer that way in terms of like I, I liked that theaters had that much of a of a of a gap between their their at home release. Mm-hmm. I mean, Gabe, I don't know if you agree. Thirty days sounds reasonable. I said, that's fair to me. I, I think th- so for a window, ninety is never so coming back. I, no. So I want to add. I think that trying to draw a conclusion from this is is really hard in general. I think one we're in such a new situation right. that even. People whose jobs are to just analyze these things and make calls or making calls that they're not 100% certain about. Um, I want to give one comparable and kind of make a point. Um, Spider-Man Far From Home had a 51% drop-off right. in its week two. Okay. And that was in 2019. That's usually that was full, average. 50% is usually about like 50%. Average, yeah. if, you, if you can keep a 50%, that's good. Right. Like, once you get into the 60s, that's when it's bad. Um so taking that, let's just let's just use that as a a single example. Taking that extra fifteen or so percent, I don't think it's too crazy to think that that extra fifteen percent that didn't go to the box office the next week are the fifteen percent that saw it at home, or they're at least the fifteen percent that if they weren't going to go the first week and they don't have to go the second week, mm-hmm. they're just going to end up watching it at home at some point anyway. Yeah, probably. I think giving sure. people that option is. Yeah, it's it's never going to just be I don't think they can coexist. But Sean's right. Black Widow is a tough one to look at because it's not Avengers. It's not it's not it, again. It's, I, it's a I very think different I think film. there are more there are more variables than that even yeah. to try to. Well, to I want to decide. I but. honestly want to be able to see what if Shang-Chi and, and the Eternals have a similar. But do you uh, think Shang-Chi and Eternals? Eternals? But I also don't think they're going to open it. Exactly. Big. I don't think Shang-Chi and Eternals are going to do more. I mean, again, don't don't get me wrong. I, I just don't know that the, if those characters and those properties are 
are well known right. enough yeah. as yeah. Black well, Widow. They're gonna they're gonna play like origin story. Right. Before before yeah. the pandemic even occurred, we were already anticipating, hey, now that Endgame's over, what is the next start of the phase gonna be when they have all these things that people yeah. aren't you know, it's not a sequel that people are going to see. Does Marvel have mm-hmm. the uh you know, the sort of draw that they can just put their their I'll logo really on? honestly I'll be curious for um old which doesn't have a franchise behind it, but it has yeah. a director. Yeah, I, know whose I name. think old overperforms. I think old will do. What? Yeah, I, 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 it's just, this is a guess, completely uneducated. I have not looked at any numbers. I would say old would do a solid twenty-five to thirty. That's that's kind of what I was going to say. Thirty. Yeah, I was going to say twenty-five. And then I would, which mm-hmm. which is they've got to be happy with. And then right? you like probably they've got to be thrilled absolutely. with it. Then you number. go to twelve on next weekend, and like, and you know, I, I yeah. could just see that that drop. And then yeah. uh, per, to Sean's point, perfect time for the third week. Or fourth yeah. week to go to the on demand, but I'll go back to this one point I want to make, and I think this is important to note. Like pandemic aside, we have had theatrical windows before the pandemic, and they've been around for all for for a long time. People waited ninety plus days to watch a film if they didn't want to go to a theater. Um, so at the end of the day, just give the theaters their exclusive access. That's all we're saying. Give them a certain amount of time, whether it be 30 to 45 days, and then bring everything to on demand. It's really, I don't think that's a yeah. bad compromise. If you're dropping the, the the theatrical window in half, the theaters are already compromising in that sense. So wait, but okay, so let's ask a question. Who's who's preventing that from happening? It's the studios? I, I, but, but this this is an interesting conversation, right? Because I sent you guys a poster this week for, for Dune. And the bottom of the Dune poster, it was in theaters and on HBO Max. And I think we've had conversations yep. where we thought maybe Denis will talk to Warner Brothers. They'll they'll pull it from HBO Max. They'll maybe give it a two or three week run, whatever it would be. And they clearly are going full on with an HBO Max and theatrical run. So you got to ask. You got to ask I, why. I, I don't know. You have to like, ask sui- why. Su- you know, the- you know, might be a good indicator. That, uh, I think well, is Suicide Squad. Squad will be an interesting yeah. one because oh, that's interesting. Now it's rated R. So I and I was thinking about this today when I was driving. But it's but it comes with your subscription, right? I mean, True. That's, that's a big mm-hmm. difference. Oh, yeah, it's free. And the yeah. big difference quote, quote. in Space Jam is Space Jam doing thirty-two million that good of a number? I mean, pre- I saw projections at twenty, so it's it's at least higher than significantly okay. higher than projections. Well, were. and the re- the reviews were really Especially bad. Yours. And <laughs> theoretically, <laughs> and theoretically, it's available for people True. who have HBO Max. Yeah. They could. But you guys made play. a great point the other uh, last week, uh, which I thought was. It kind of uh, solidified this thought process a little more for me. People who want to see Dune and are people who are fans of Denise films are going to go to the theater. And like, right. and that audience mm-hmm. is already locked in. So you already have that audience. So the movie being on HBO Max, I don't, I don't necessarily think it's going to hurt Dune as much as we think, as right. much as I think it will, because there are so many people who are so locked into Denise work that they're going to want to yeah. see it on the big screen because they're pushing the IMAX thing. Yeah. But I but I still wonder, and this goes back to Sean's question just now, whose decision is this? Because after Quiet Place and after F9 opened, we clearly saw that box office was doing fine, right? And so the question we had after those box office openings was, will Black Widow then remove its Disney Plus uh, premiere access for the first whatever, how many weeks it would be. And they didn't. And, and didn't. now HBO Max nope. is not doing that for Dune. And we know, so the HBO Max deal for, to clarify, goes through the end of the year. And then next year it goes back to theatrical exclusive, correct? So they say the they can do whatever they want. For now. They can yeah, do whatever they want. So, so, so they could do whatever they want. So do you think Denis Villeneuve is behind the scenes still trying to work that? Or do you think it's like, hey man, 
Sorry, it's definitely going HBO Max. Nothing we can uh, do about it. We're premiering it at Venice, you know, and yeah. but it, I just wonder, do you think he's still pushing for it? I, I would imagine by, sorry, I would imagine by now he has and he's either and he's apparently lost that battle. Like I don't think yeah. this yeah. few this close to release. It's in October now. Like yeah. I don't think you're changing a, a machine. I I do we can move on to we have some trailers we got to talk about. But I do think for our longtime listeners and people who are going to stick around long term, uh, this will be something that I think develops over the course of the next five or 10 years in the sense that it's a major shift in the industry and it's kind of mirroring early days in the industry yeah. um, with sort of the Paramount Accords, which a brief explainer read up on this. This is not it's a very complicated thing. But at one point in time, the studios did actually own the theaters and they were distributing the films themselves and they were making all the money and there were this antitrust issues with the government they came in and split them up but now we're in this moment where the studios are the distributors in the sense that they have control of all their own siloed platforms mm. they have their hbo max they have their disney plus they have their netflix i think netflix is definitely a part of that even though they're not as much of a theatrical presence but they, there have been and rumors I think, that they were going to start like a netflix yeah and i think chain, that right? i think that this will be an interesting thing to see where it goes in the sense that if they just want to to control the distribution of it and put it all on their platforms, I think we we put ourselves back in that sort of antitrust issue where then we have this entire industry, the theatrical industry, that if they don't have an exclusive window, then they can't conduct business. They just they can't invest that kind of money if they go, you're going to have it, but so will we, or well, you're only going to have you know it for what? a week. It, it's going to be interesting to see how far the studios take it and how far... The theaters can kind of push. Two back. quick questions. All right, also, go ahead, Sean. I, go ahead. The, the, well, uh, let, me, let me make a point. Right, um, I think that there's three filmmakers that have the ability to say, "My film is only going to theaters and it's not going to a streaming." Spielberg um, and Nolan. I think that they would be Spielberg, Tarantino, yeah. and Nolan. Okay, yeah. those are the three that That's I would single good. out. But however, but let, well, let me bring out one other thing. Someone else who does have the power to say that would be Feige, and Feige either lost the battle or chose not to fight it you know like there has to be an upside for these movies being on streaming platforms and it could be anything as much as like we're talking about money and it's usually money but it could also just be customer satisfaction you know they might be polling their their subscribers and saying do you like having this ability and if enough people are telling them that yes we do like having that option if Warner Brothers is polling their HBO Max subscribers and those people are telling them, yeah, I'm going to continue my service because I enjoy having these first run movies available today and I'm not as uh, concerned about getting out to the theater. Then they're going to turn around to Denis as much as we love Denis, but Denis does not have the ability to do that. James Gunn doesn't have the ability to do that. Warner Brothers is going to say to them, I don't care. Your movie is going to be on HBO Max. Yeah. And I don't think they have the poll that you know the way that Nolan did with Tenant to say no, I'm holding it in for theaters as long that, as I can. I think that's, that's just what the I reality. Ask. Of it. So let's say Tenant was coming out in October. What do you think would happen? Um, uh, Nolan would would Nolan would protest. Okay, but, but okay, does well, he protests? What does that do? I think they they would just delay it because I think that's a really bad precedent Probably. to set to say okay. For you, we'll bend the rules, but right. for, you know, Lada Wachowski and Denis, like, we're not going, you know, because you yeah. don't mind, like, they've got Matrix 4 coming out in December, which is another yep. massive movie that, in theory, like, should just be yep. in theaters. So, so is so. West Side Story going to Disney Plus? 
Probably not. Because it's Spielberg? But Disney has Disney did, but Disney didn't make a blanket yes. statement that all of them are going to Disney Plus. Sean, They've been picking and choosing. To your point about Feige, that announcement about Black Widow, how many months ago was that now? Time is uh, is irrelevant these days. That's at least three months that ago. That it was right? going to be Disney Plus yeah. at the same time? Wasn't that, uh, that was more invest- recent? Wasn't no, no, no. recent too. That yeah, was yeah, more yeah. recent. Was it more yeah. recent? Okay. They didn't clarify. Because I feel like only in the past few weeks, regardless, only in the past few weeks has the theatrical sort of business felt stable in a sense. Is that I want to say even when at the investors call that you were talking about that Marvel said uh, our movies are going to be in theaters. Like they were really pushing the, yeah. we're going to help theaters open back up. Point, so I was pretty surprised being, when it was there. I don't think that we can, in the same way that HBO said we're going to do the whole year, I don't think we can look at Feige's decision or lost battle of black widow hitting streaming as sort of an outlook of what's to come you're, i think you're making a good point that if it works for the customers then you know the customer is always right kind of thing uh that's that's their their business is their business but i i don't necessarily know that that means that marvel's interested in not being theatrical because they are the theatrical business in the sense of they're the biggest yeah, winners for sure for let me point at another decade. person who theoretically would have enough power i would think um would be the rock like if the rock stood up to Disney and said, Jungle Cruise is only going to theaters. Does he have the power no. to do that? I, I, re- I, no? I really I don't, don't think he has the power. I mean, it, 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 he might be the biggest movie star on the planet. I also don't think he would even, He's, I don't even think yeah. he would fight that battle because I think The Rock is so, is so in tune with customers like you just brought up. That like he's sure. like he he when he made red that red notice film which I think is the most expensive Netflix movie ever made like he even put in his yeah. caption that this is the first streaming film I've ever done I'm like super proud of this Netflix gave us all this money essentially to do this and I think I I don't think The Rock would even make that battle I I think I, I think he I think and- he's so customer service based that he would he okay. he probably appreciates the fact that people can watch Jungle Cruise. And also, Jungle Cruise is an interesting one because I think it being on Disney Plus is actually going to help that movie. Because I don't think Jungle yeah. Cruise would have had a massive, massive opening anyways. I think that Jungle Cruise will, is a movie that will benefit from that. My other question is this. You're HBO Max. You're seeing how much money Disney Plus is making off of these films. So $60 million theoretically in the first weekend for Black Widow. Do you start a premium service for like films like Suicide Squad and Dune and Matrix, because you know for a fact that people would pay it. So if you're HBO Max, do you incorporate a premier access element to your to your service? Jakey, what do you think? Um, it's it's not a bad idea because it, clearly with Black Widow, they saw that people are willing to pay it, and at the end of the day, you don't want to turn down money. And you know, every time uh, you know they mentioned, uh, you know that uh, usually when it, when a uh, film does well at the box office, it correlates with a lot of people watching it on HBO Max. And so at the end of the day, no company, no matter what business it is, wants to walk away from free right. money. And so, you know, whether whether it's, you know, what what would it, you know, cost them to, to put, you know, a little extra price tag on they there? They could charge 30 you know, bucks for Matrix not- 4. They probably would make money on that or 30 bucks for Dune or uh, Suicide yeah. Squad. If people, if that was like a $20 premiere access they could make so much money off of that. And again, I, I, I'm against day and date, and, I, and I, I want the theatrical exclusive. I'm just talking about it from a business perspective now. This is pure business. And I'm just wondering like, why they haven't implemented that yet, especially after what happened with Black Widow. Well, because they made the year-long commitment. It all comes back to that. They've committed to this year being a certain and I, business plan, and they reserve the sure. right to either go full theatrical or to do just that and do a premier exit. They could do whatever they want January 1st. And I would... 
I would be mad at them if they implemented that change only because, uh, you know, you should have done right, it from the right. beginning. <laughs> and you screwed yourself a little but bit by they, laying out this platform. Can't they just make but that? It, can't they just change it? I mean, do they? But they're <laughs> gonna, you know, sure think they of could. the headlines you're going to yeah. get. You're not going to get they good could. headlines from that. You're only going to get bad headlines from HBO Max now costs yeah. extra every time you want to watch something on it. But also, I mean, keep in mind, aside from uh, uh, In the Heights, every Warner Brothers movie has done very well this year. Yeah. Like, all, and all of them have been, for the most part, to different degrees, success stories when it comes to day and dates. You look at, you know, Godzilla vs. Kong and Mortal Kombat and, and, and Space Jam and, and uh, the little things. Uh, depending on what suicides, you know, like in the Heights is the only one that came out and made people go, well, it's because they put it on HBO Max. That's why it didn't do well, which they then came out and said, no, not that many people watch it on HBO I, Max. So for the most part, but, this grand experiment seems to be paying I don't off. Think, why is no sudden move only HBO Max and not theaters? Yeah, I don't think it was weird. ever intended to go why. Like, why, like why? HBO like, makes, I, I get, makes films. HBO, there's HBO no, films. But no, but no, but yeah. no sudden moves is a WB film. Yeah, but right? but now they're HBO Max. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's oh, yeah. so I, I guess I don't know necessarily. I, I think if if I were to crystal ball what Warner Brothers and HBO Max are going to do, I think that this year was a loss leader, so to speak. Let's say they're leaving money on the table mm-hmm. for the rest of the year theatrically um, to bolster HBO Max as a brand, to bolster subscriptions, to get people in mm-hmm. the door. And I think that moving forward they can sustain their subscribers with the next Game of Thrones that HBO has. You can be Mm, HBO Max and have people's money by putting uh, Game of Thrones as like a whatever, enter the must-see TV that HBO always has. And then their theatrical business can be their theatrical business, and they can say also our movies are going to be here when they're eventually at home. I don't think they need to sort of uh, cut themselves off and sort of cannibalize that long-term. I think this was more a... They're new, it's a crowded space, and they made a big splash, and now we're still talking about that big splash. So I, I think that's all the play was. I think it's going to go back to theatrical. It'll come out later on HBO Max, but their TV business, they have HBO. It can sustain itself, I think. Gabe, where can I see Venom uh, Let There that's Be Carnage? Sony. So that's going to be... Netflix, right? They have a deal with Netflix? Right, right. Uh, just g- no. give, it, give it a couple of weeks. No. It'll be in the clearance. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, is that, right, is, is, that, is that 100% true? That like In terms of... So that's right, because Sony... After, so they still go theatrical, exclusive. Sony doesn't have Netflix. a... Yeah, they don't do that, yeah. Tarantino right, mentioned but, but, that. But, but they're not Netflix day and date, though. They're not day and date Netflix. They're like, it's no, exclusivity just, and then... They just license okay. to Netflix, yeah, exclusive. Right. Yes. By the way, uh, in a while, uh, the so. HBO Max uh, platform I really like, and I'm more. Oh, I love I love HBO more, Max. I probably I I watch it more so. And than Lord's Netflix. got Peacock. That's a phenomenal uh, 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 platform as well. These these platforms are the only one that needs an update. I would argue is Amazon. Their platform is terrible. Oh my god! It's and well, so they're, they're, and this is inside baseball, but like their their um, screener system for us to be able to watch stuff in advance. You can send them into space, Amazon, horrible. but you can't get my damn TV to work right. I know but the, the <laughs> Amazon platform is so archaic. It's so Put your back old into school. It. Like HBO Max is like <laughs> they have a good catalog though. Prime's got a good. They they've do. got really good prestigious catalog. But I don't like searching their catalog. Just can't yeah, find I can't anything. Fi- I can't find anything on their platform. Can't find it. Yeah. All right. Let's get on to uh, New Ridley Scott. New Ridley Scott has a movie coming out uh, that I will eventually watch on Sifi for The Last Duel. Oh, it's a book? Yeah. I, I, I will. Uh, it, Sifi. 
I thought that this looked really exciting. Um, I think the cast looks fantastic. I love the fact that they're burying Matt Damon and Ben Affleck in uh, in makeup that makes them unrecognizable. I think Adam Driver looks like he's about to choose scenery. Uh, I like Jodie Comer. Uh, all of this looks fantastic. You guys were a little lukewarm on it. Jakey, why were you lukewarm well, it's not, on this No, trailer? I think the movie is going to be fantastic. I just didn't think it was like the best trailer yeah. in the world. But, mm-hmm. I mean, I loved the look of it. Um, I love sort of, you know, the, 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 the casting seems great. The story is unbelievable. It's a, this insane true story. Um, and, uh, and, and really, Scott, I, you know, it's, it's just it's still a freaking master. And particularly uh, with those 80, kind of 81 three. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Um, it's ridiculous like that he <laughs> made that. And, and so I know I think it's going to be great. It's one of my most anticipated of the year. I just didn't think that trailer was reflective of how good the movie's yeah. going to be. I have a feeling that the movie is going to be infinitely better than that trailer. It was. gave me Gladiator vibes for sure in terms of like scope and scale, which is not a bad thing. Uh, that's why I made the Seafy joke to Sean. I was like, "You're going to watch this on Seafy because he watches Gladiator on Seafy." Um, I don't know why we keep calling C-fee. it Seafy. <laughs> the only way, the only way to um, watch Gladiator. My only problem with that trailer was the editing. I I, I thought it was distracting. I, I I wanted to see the visuals, and I kept they kept doing this weird thing with the, and I get why they were doing it, but. Like the screen would be black, and then part of the image would reveal itself in like a, a downward. Those windows. Yeah, and, and, and I've seen that before in in trailers, and I've seen it before in in movies and shows. I, I I just think the show the movie looks so visually stunning that it took away from the experience. It actually made me think I was watching a trailer versus I that, yeah. I bet that works a lot better on a giant theater screen than your I, phone. Would agree thing. with you 100. Those little windows yeah, are so small. I bet on a big theater you can it see works. enough of the color palette, and it, I bet it's striking enough. Question for you guys. Um, so that's coming in October. Uh, well, I, one thing I just want to point out is that not to unearth this conversation again, but I did pay very close attention to the fact that at the end of that, it said only in theaters. And I yeah. think that this is becoming that's the now, new thing. Uh, the line yeah. of the sand. <laughs> yeah, they're drawing a line in the sand. So when you saw it on Dune. You immediately took a picture of it and showed it to us, and you were like, "Look, HBO Max, yeah. you know they're saying yeah. it." And then instead, Fox, Fox Disney, you know, turns around and says, uh, "No, no, you're coming." Do you to think see Ridley, Ridley is one of the guys that could put his foot in the sand? That's yeah. what I was. Yeah, uh, I was just going to ask. Sir Ridley, how could you not? How could I you think Sir no? Ridley Scott has that pull, <laughs> and it's so interesting because, well, and you have Ben Affleck, and you have Matt Damon, right? Like, who could definitely? I don't know if they're producing Adam this. Adam I could definitely well, see Matt Damon. Well, is this the first it, screenplay right? they've written mm-hmm. together since Goodwill Hunting? Well, they co-wrote so, with, yeah. they, yes, there's three writers, Nicole, I, I don't want to botch your name, Nicole Holofsner, we, I, oh, yeah, okay. we, I, yeah. I, know, I know the name, I just don't know how to pronounce her last name, but but Matt Damon and, and Affleck wrote it with Nicole, and I was, I was, I was trying to figure okay. out, is this the first time they've written a screenplay together since Google Hunting? That's what I was trying I to figure so. out. Yeah. Did you talk to him about it yesterday? I didn't bring it up. Well, except Hunting Season, yeah. I think they wrote Hunting now, Season Hunting too. Season so. is the movie that needs to be made, <laughs> and that needs to go right to theaters. <laughs> Jesus, Ben, I'm busy. <laughs> Gus I'm Van Sant. Oh, we didn't even mention Clerks 3. What Clerks do you think about Clerks 3? Dude, the Clerks 3 news made me so happy because, and for people who aren't aware of the news, Lionsgate is going to globally release this film. Kevin Smith, you know, having a massive studio behind him like Lionsgate, it's such a big deal because Reboot uh, cool. was made on a smaller scale, smaller studio. Um, it didn't get the the run or the theatrical run that uh, that you, you would hope for. Um, with Clerks, Clerks 2 is still... One of my favorite movies ever. It's the only movie I've ever cried in from Kevin Smith's. Uh, but prior up to that point in his career, I cried in the Randall uh, prison sequence when he's talks. When he's talking to Dante, and it, it and it just that movie meant so much to me to see in a theater. 
Um, so for Clerks 3 to have a global, massive studio behind it just gives me confidence that, one, the script's got to be great. There's no way it's not great. Two, um, I, th- I really think they're going to give this movie the promotion it deserves. Like, I, I just, I, it made me so happy for Kevin to... Because he's been roadshowing it for right. a while, you know, like, you know... Grassroots. Little by little going for yeah. Yeah, and, those, and those yeah. and those do really well. I mean, like, obviously, he makes a lot of money touring his films around because... Yeah. and. One of the things I always appreciated that he says this in interviews and he said this before, if you think about it, when you go to a, when you go to a roadshow experience with Kevin Smith, it's like almost like a religious experience, as, he, as he'll put it, because everyone in that theater is a fan. Like if you go to a movie theater and watch a film, you never know who you're sitting with. And it might not be a, a, a big uh, as a Kevin Smith fan as you are. And the experience is still cool. But when you're in a room with all mm-hmm. Kevin Smith fans watching his film, mm-hmm. I, I'm hoping he still road shows Clerks 3. Maybe after the release, post-release, he goes out and does a Q&A tour with Jay and Randall. The thing about it, though, is that, Jeff is that Reboot was such a a run through his mm, career yeah. and an homage to everything he'd accomplished that I don't know. I Hopefully in a way, I hope clerks three is more laser focused just on the story yeah, in, independently, you know, the story in and of itself because Re- reboot was, which I thought was fantastic, a really great sort of run through all of the references from, from all the different films. Yeah, I remember career, Affleck so. was in clerks two. And now that him and Affleck are working together again, I'm hoping Affleck shows back up. Um, I still wonder, because uh, Clerks 2 still has one of the best dialogues he's ever written, which was the Lord of the Rings versus Star Wars uh, sequence with Randall. <laughs> when, he's, when he's talking about the, 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 he explains Lord of the Rings in like two minutes. It's like Sean's heaven. Um, but he also has an entire donkey, donkey sex which, scene. It's funny too, you bring that is... up, because the moment in that movie that makes me cry is directly after that scene. And I always found that fascinating. It, it, it shows how brilliant of a writer is, because he has that donkey scene which is so disturbing and so crazy. And then you get to a prison scene with two best friends talking about their friendship and you're crying. And like, I don't know other many filmmakers who can pull off a donkey show like they do in Clerks 2 and then genuinely bring you back to an emotional core like he does because he's such a good writer and he's such a good storyteller. Um, so I'm all in on You're going to get invited to his house. No, this is just, don't I don't, he's not listening to this. Yeah, you act like he's listening to me right now. <laughs> uh, one franchise that I have not been, you guys probably are more into it than I am. I never really watched oh, dude. Uh, the Jackass franchise. All franchises. in. All I mean, in. I mean, I've watched it here and there. I absolutely know what it is. I've seen multiple episodes of it. I think I saw the first two. You didn't see 3D? Movies. I didn't see the 3D. Oh, 3D, 3D was, was amazing. No, I didn't see oh, the 3D that's the, that, that might be top 10 experience. Like 3D. top 10 I've, hardest I've laughed in a theater oh, ever in my life. That was probably one of the really? best like, 3D like, movies ever, like, too. Heaving, like, like, oh, like out of breath, like leaning over in a theater how hard Jake I is laugh. Jackass 3 what's uh, the one the, my favorite bit they ever did is when they, they go to they go to <laughs> they go to a this is uh, obviously this is a, a Kevin scene I'm, of course I'm bringing this up they go to like a, a store that sells toilets and like and, 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 yeah. and, and like and home goods <laughs> and the guy <laughs> literally goes number two in one of the display toilets and it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life I mean what a brilliant bit <laughs> I feel like I've seen that scene. That might have been two. So I don't know it which might have one been it two, was uh, in. No pun intended. It might have been number two. Makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. Uh, so Jackass Forever is coming out. Uh, the new trailer dropped. I didn't I didn't even t- get a chance to take a look at it. I should probably put it on. It's awesome. Um, I've, I enjoyed Action Park when Johnny Knoxville did that Action Park 
movie recently and the credits to go sort of go over it okay so you're both all in on this uh it's being sold as the last one because essentially they're like, gonna the posters gonna made me yeah. laugh like there there are two posters and one of them is <laughs> knoxville being shot out of a cannon but like the way he's posed he's like po- like like he's got like these angel wings on his like arms are slung back and then the tagline is like some people never learn and then there's another poster <laughs> that is a uh, a fairly large man shall we call him and ob- maybe even an obese man who is Wear like wearing very little clothes with like a little <laughs> like a little winged thing strapped around him, and he's like running off a ramp, and like they caught the moment clearly right before he's about to tumble down a mountain. Like I oh no, <laughs> it took me a couple of minutes to realize the hook of that poster. Did you not see no, it? No, no, I guess not. There, there's a whole field of cactus. <laughs> oh no, is the guy you're referring to? Is it Preston? Isn't he one of the like the main jackass guys? Is he the guy in the poster? I'm not sure. I do know there are quite a few new people okay. in this one, um, which people kind of feel uh, mixed about. But Kevin, did you do the junket for three? I didn't do the junket for three, but I was so obsessed with that the the franchise and the show on MTV that I went and saw. I'll, I'll never forget. I went and saw Steve O live. This is back when Ryan Dunn was alive. Um, and yeah. so Ryan Dunn passed away years ago. Um, he was, he was a very big part of the Jackass films, mm-hmm. but I was so obsessed with it that I wanted to see Steve-O do this stuff in person. He did like, he did like a, a, a show across the country and stopped at like little venues. Dude ate a light bulb on stage. Oh my <laughs> like, God. I, I could not believe what was going. I mean, anytime you watch these Jackass movies and you think it's just a movie, it's not like this stuff is like genuinely the part in the trailer that makes me die laughing. Jake, I don't know if it made you laugh. They show this like shot and you don't realize it's like a, it's a, it's a poster and this guy drives right into oh, it. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so well done. It was, basically it was like real life Wiley Coyote. <laughs> Jake, you were going to mention the junket real fast. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh no! It was just it was just I mean like sitting across from those guys and they're they're exactly who you so would think good. they would be. It was it was just a great it was a really great junket. Well, that'll be coming out sooner or later. Uh, we gotta find out who the director of that is and get them on. That seems is like it, a natural. Is it Jeff again? Would love to it's talk Tremaine, to yeah. Jeff, yeah, yeah, Jeff. Jeff Tremaine did. Uh, oh, is it really? And Spike yeah. Jones does a lot of stuff with him as well, doesn't he? Dude, Spike. Uh, Spike's in the sh- series and also like I, mean, I think he's played like a. I think he his character gets an old makeup at one point in some of the older uh, Jackass films. Yeah. Like like he's Spike Jones is like a major part of those those films. Yeah. Before we move on quickly, I'm going to point out the fact that Johnny Knoxville once was so massive that he got cast in a Dukes of Hazard reboot <laughs> as one of the Dukes. Yeah. <laughs> Those like, Dukes brothers are added. That was Sean William yeah, Scott as well. Was that's, it was Sean William Scott Sean and then Jessica yeah. Simpson played Daisy Sean William Duke, Scott so, uh, is underrated, right, this, by the way. Can we just say he's underrated? He's He was also in Cop hey, Out. Though. But he's great in American Pie and he was great in The Rundown. That dude, that dude's funny. All right. I love Sean William Scott. This week in movies. Affleck was the bomb uh, in Phantom. He was. This weekend movies is going to start with something that's not a movie. It's uh, Ted Lasso season two, which is having its premiere on Apple TV. Uh, Jake went ahead and ruined it for himself by watching eight episodes of the show. <laughs> eight of ten, uh, and now has to wait till September. I don't know. To- well, this is this is such a um, <laughs> this is such a, like an inside baseball complaint. But they gave us the first eight of ten. I'm assuming now the problem mm-hmm. is is they're only doing one per week. So if Apple doesn't give us the last two on the screening on the screener app. Uh, I basically have to wait until mid-September to until I get to, to finish. Jake, you know what this is right together. here? You know what this is, Jake? <laughs> what is this right here? This, this is the, the world's smallest tiniest violin, violin playing. Sorry, I had to do a Reservoir yeah, well, Dogs gonna, reference. Well, so. I, I, I very much enjoyed uh, uh, this season so far. I'm really loving it. Um, really, the, the, the comparison to be made uh, is if you guys watch The Office, 
you know, the first season of The Office was kind of an introduction, like, hey, here's the world in which we exist. Here's who, mm-hmm. like, the main characters are that you need to know. Um, and then and then season two of The Office really was branching out in terms of the world. And then also, like, who are these background characters who were kind of floating around a little bit? And that's very much what Ted Lasso does as well. Like, yes, Ted and all the main characters you love from season one all very much get their chance to shine. But now a lot of the secondary characters you realize are just as interesting, if not more so. Um, and, and what I love about the show is it's very much still a balance of, yes, sweetness and comedy, but like the first season did, it also does get very heavy at times. And I think it's those heavy moments that balance out the sweetness and the kindness and, and both make the other better. You know, like the kindness makes the heavy moments heavier and the heavy moments make the kindness uh, kinder. Yeah. And that's really, really what I love about and, it. What about you guys? Season, I, I actually am waiting to watch more episodes because I kind of, I, I want to do it week to week because uh, like I love... Well, fine. Aren't you great? Well, no, I just mean it like I... I I, I get to a point if I if I, watch I, Lost. I I am watch I'm almost done with season three by the way yeah you this are is so good um but I I am gonna interject one little uh, I don't know if that's the right word interject but I'm gonna say one thing yeah, because we're talking yeah. about season two of Ted Lasso and we never mentioned this in the show if anybody out there listening to us has not watched Dave um it's a show on it's a show on FXX and Hulu that's also in season two and it's a week to week it's my favorite show on TV right now for the exact same reasons why I love Ted Lasso it captures real life. Um, it's funny. It's heartbreaking. It deals with actual serious issues. If you haven't seen, uh, here's the best way I'll describe um, the show for people who haven't heard of it or seen it. It's based on a, a rapper named Lil Dicky and Dave Bird. It's Curb Your Enthusiasm with rap, or Seinfeld with rap, hip hop. That's cool. Um, that's, that's a good. That's a good. And pitch. if you don't like hip, so okay. the same reason why Ted Lasso works. I'm not a soccer fan. You know, I I I, I like yeah. soccer, but uh, when Ted Lasso first came out, I'm like. Do I want to watch a show about soccer? It's not about soccer. It's about the characters, right? And I would argue that mm-hmm. if you're not a hip-hop fan, that Dave delivers the exact same goods as Ted Lasso on a much more R-rated level. But Ted Lasso season one, if you haven't seen it, definitely check that one out. And, and obviously, you can watch uh, Dave on Hulu. Just wanted to mention that. So. Mark Wahlberg has a movie coming uh, in limited release, I'm under uh, I'm under the impression, uh, called Joe Select Bell. Theaters, yeah. And- been hearing a lot about it, but I know absolutely nothing about it, Kevin. So tell me why um, it's well, worth J- it. Well, Jake, uh, Jake and I both did the junket for this, and uh, Jake finished the film. Um, so I'll let him like do the review aspect of it. But um, in terms of the film itself, uh, you know, from what I had seen from it, it there, there's an anti-bullying aspect to it, which is very, very important. Um, the plot basically deals with Joe Bell. It's based on a true story. Um, his son commits suicide after being bullied for being gay in high school. Um, and so he decides to go on a walk across the country, uh, you know, essentially campaigning against bullying and, and, and talking out about it. And it's really about a father's uh, acceptance and, 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 and awakening about paying attention to his child, you know, and, and kind of like going back and understanding maybe what he did wrong or what he didn't listen to or not, you know, giving his son a better understanding. Because I think the line in the movie they use is understanding starts at home. Um, and there's a lot in this film that is, from what I've seen, is just, you know, it's heartbreaking as somebody, I was bullied in school. I think a lot of people were bullied in school, so that's not really like a, you know, everyone, I think people have been through it. Um, but the film really touches on that concept of, of of the home life and kind of what happens at home. And, you know, one of the things that I always experienced in terms of bullying that I've learned later on in life 
is what about the home life of the bullies? Because then there's another, another interesting aspect there as to kind of like what's going on in their homes. Um, and I'm not, you know, there's no defending bullies and what they do, but it is an interesting thing that everything kind of starts at home um, on both sides of the coin. So I think, uh, I mean, obviously Jake will tell you, Wahlberg's performance is unbelievable. It's a very good performance. Uh, you know, it, it's, a, it's tough because he's so famous and sometimes it's hard to look past, oh, that's Mark Wahlberg. Um, but he really went there for this one. He does not hide but in a role. The, but this, yeah, he rarely this hides. One, in a he role. hides in it. And, and and I know Stillwater's coming out next week. Uh, you know, speaking about same somebody on a similar level as Wahlberg would be Damon. And I I watched Stillwater. I didn't see Damon on screen. I saw Bill Baker, um, the character he played. Um, and here I felt the same way. I, Joe Bell, he's Joe Bell. I mean, it, it, it's you know you take a couple minutes, you realize you're watching Wahlberg, then you immerse yourself in the story. Um, but Jake finished it, so I'll let Jake give a review on it. But. Terrible title for a movie. It's a weird yeah. title it, it was, because because it, no one knows yeah, who Joe bad, Bell is. Yeah. Right, 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 right. No, yeah. no right. idea. Yeah. In fact, when I whenever I like needed to find emails that had junk and information in it, I always like I, I would have to type in Mark Wall because I couldn't remember what the title of the movie was, and I was like, wait, what is yeah. that? What is that junk that I'm doing on Friday? Yeah, you're right. It's not a great title, um, but it is. I thought a really, really, really strong yep. movie. Um, there, there was. I, I watched it without having seen the trailer. And there is um, something that that is ruined in the trailer that I was I was kind of glad that I didn't know going in. Um, is, is it worth talking? So don't, don't say it. Don't say it. It's a it's a plot device sure. that is used yeah. in the film in a really interesting way. Yeah. Um, and then, but if you watch the trailer, you're clearly like, oh, okay, it's, they're they're doing that. Um, okay. I didn't know that they were doing that, and so. So when when the when the reveal comes when it comes and it's not like a twist ending or anything yeah. it's just oh by the way here's this um, it was really it, it took me for a loop um, but I thought Wahlberg's performance is it was was really incredible um, very good it, all all the Connie Nielsen for Friday Night Lights is fantastic um, the young actor Reed Miller I think is one of those like one to watch young young guys uh, I think he's going to do some great stuff um, the ending was without getting like a little bit of a whiplash it, it kind of felt like the movie had a really nice t- like click to it and it was going moving out and then like really quick they squeezed in what probably should have been like 10 minutes worth of movie in like the last 90 seconds to the point where i was like wait i'm sorry wait what happened and and then like it ends like and then like title card end of movie and i'm like oh, <laughs> wait, how did that happen like like you could like this movie's already like, I mean, it's only 90 minutes. You couldn't have given me, like, another... Like, it's one of the few movies lately where I thought to myself, that could have been 10 minutes longer. Right. You could have given mm-hmm. me an extra 10 minutes. Um, but no, I really I really enjoyed it, and I very much think it's absolutely one of Wahlberg's uh, best performances. Yeah, and I, I, I want to clarify okay. one thing. I, and I said this a, a few times in the show over the uh, course of us doing the show. Um, just just why I want to clarify this for my own purposes. But, like, when I say I haven't finished a film, like, Jake and I are... And Sean, we're doing so many junkets um, that sometimes I'll get a screener the night before uh, an interview and I'll only have like the morning of to watch it in between my TV segments before I drive home to do the interview at 10, you know, one thirty in the afternoon. So it's not that I don't want to finish these films. It's just that sometimes I just don't have the time to. And I, I go back and revisit them, obviously. Yeah, saying, and you, but you will not go on the and air review it. and, um, uh, yeah, I, I, I remember we, what honest. was it? What was it? Toronto one time that, yeah. that we missed like the, like, because like the shuttle got us there late right. and we missed like the first 10 minutes of a movie. And you made a point, um, even though we saw, 90% you know, of it, yeah. 110 yeah, minutes, yeah, yeah. yeah. You you didn't, you made a point of saying, I'm not going to yeah. review this unless I can go back and watch it from the beginning all the way through. So, yeah, I, I yeah. 
to that end, I miss having to go to theaters. I, I like because going it to makes the theater you to commit watch to it. right. Yeah, because like with what yeah, you commit right, to the with time. Wahlberg's film. Like I, so I obviously you guys know this, but Jake and I do a morning show, and I'm I have a hit every hour six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and for that type of movie, in terms of the way it was sent to me. I'm watching 20 minutes at a time in chunks in between my segments while I'm producing and writing and editing my segments. So it's really to Sean's point, when you put it in a theater like Stillwater the other day, which I, I sat down, and I had to sit there for two hours and 20 minutes. No phone, yeah, nothing. It made me commit, which is another reason why the theatrical experience is important. Uh, all right. So I think I'm the only one who saw Snake Eyes. Wait, Sean, you is were going right? to say you yeah. un- I was undercutting something. What were you going to say? I said you were cutting into my time to review oh, sorry, Snake Eyes, for God's sakes. I want to get to the new G.I. Joe Please. Origins. Come on, Yay. for God's sakes. Um, I will say that this... Okay, so this this is... I got a phone call from the Paramount, from my Paramount rep, as immediately as I was walking out of this movie, because I guess they wanted to kind of figure out what they had. And my genuine reaction to her was, well, that didn't suck, <laughs> because I went into it assuming that it was going to be really bad. Um and it wasn't. They do a pretty good job of setting up who this character is going to be. Uh, you have to know going into it that it's a G.I. Joe film, obviously. Uh, but it's a good origin story for a character who, for the most part, uh, doesn't speak and um, wears a mask the entire time and is a silent kind of ninja. Uh, they instead do a pretty good job of setting up a backstory for this character and and setting up a uh, rivalry with a character named Storm Shadow, and they do something fairly interesting in that for the bulk of the Snake Eyes movie, uh, and this isn't necessarily a spoiler, um, he's kind of the villain. Like, he's kind of sided with the organization that is doing the wrong thing for the bulk of this film. And you kind of wait to see, like, oh, how are they going to rework this so that he's eventually with G.I. Joe? Are they even going to go down that route? So there's a the, the rivalry between Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow the, and the two actors playing him, Henry Golding and, um, oh, gosh, what's the other guy's name? His last name is Ki- uh, Kijo. Kijo? Uh, he plays Tommy in the movie. Um, that stuff is really compelling. It's really, really interesting. Then about the hour mark, they start to roll in G.I. Joe people. Uh, Samara Weaving plays Scarlet. They have a character, uh, the Baroness, who is one of the Cobra uh, people. And the movie does not care about them at all. (laughs) Like When they come on screen, it's just really um, cheesy kind of let's remind people that that Cobra and G.I. Joe are part of this world. And you're like, all right, right, get back to the more interesting, compelling uh, rivalry between these two characters. I ended up going three stars out of five. Um, you know, only go see it if you care about G.I. Joe at all, or if you think Henry Golding is fairly interesting. The director uh, did the two Red movies, and uh, the one thing he brings to the fight elements, the fight components, is that they do an amazing job with um with sound mixing and and with the the fighting. So you literally feel every punch and every kick that's being thrown. Like it's it is physical and it's brutal, and Henry Golding commits fully to it. Um. But I'll be really curious if they do a sequel to it, uh, how they're going to commit to covering his face with the mask the entire time, (laughs) because I just don't think he'll do that. He's a pretty charismatic actor. And uh, I don't know. I'll see. I'll be curious to see if this warrants a franchise. I think it's going to think it's going to have a soft opening. And then Sean, did you hear about Henry Golding's favorite Nicolas Cage movie? (sighs) I know what it is. Oh, it's it's Yes. That's it. It's Vegas. <laughs> now, now, Brian would have been the great punchline is no, like it's it's leaving Las Vegas. <laughs> Dude, the opening really like shot it. of De Palma's Snake Eyes. I think it's like a 
I like that. Movie. Is it a twenty-minute one or whatever? I don't remember how. Is it? Is it? It's the. Is that the movie where like the dude gets killed at, uh, at like in a, like during a um, boxing match? Uh, I believe it's so funny. I don't even really remember the film. I just remember the opening shot. That's all I remember is the. Yeah. I, I believe sw- so. Um, I don't think it's that. I thought there was a hurricane coming. Uh, no, I think it's a boxing match. Uh, here's the plot for Snake Eyes. A in shady Vegas. police detective finds himself in the middle of a murder conspiracy at an important boxing match in Atlantic City. And then the opening shot, I think, is the boxing match, I believe. Um, I think yeah. it goes into the stadium, I believe. I have to go back and watch it. But that's De Palma. Well, different Snake Eyes. It's a different yeah. Snake Eyes. <laughs> All right, let's get to M. Night. Um, M. Night Shyamalan has a new film out in theaters. We obviously spoke to him earlier in this episode. Uh, and it is called Old. Um... Jakey, tell us uh, what you thought about M. Night Shyamalan's latest film, Old, and uh, and how it plays in theaters. Um, look, I this is not a very sexy like review, but like I thought it was fine. Like I thought mm-hmm. it was, you know, um, uh, I feel like it was a really hefty thirty minutes too long. Um, I thought there were a couple of moments that dragged. It could have been sped up. I actually felt like there were a couple of moments that that were sped up that they could have drug out a little bit to like you know. Um, particularly when it comes to how a particular character is impregnated, that's a moment that I would have like, wait, explain, explain to me how that happened again. Um, you needed that uh, explained. Well, <laughs> it's it, it's kind of yeah. We're, we're, it would be how it happened. The, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The, we're with, like the circumstances yeah. under like. Um, yeah. I thought that was I thought that was uh, well done. Sorry, oh, like, this, we're getting this, into a specific no, that we can't. I, I like yeah. the, sort of the concept behind it. I just would have liked a little bit more like oh. That, that I, happens too. In yeah, terms we of the can't. Rules. Uh, well, well, maybe this is yeah, worth spoiling. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Maybe, uh, to you, me, you I will say this to you, and people at home can come back after they see it. To me, I felt that was a really nice way, a really creative way to cover that without making it too gross. Mm. Sure, mm. sure. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it was implied. Yeah. Enough was implied. Enough happened. Yeah. We saw enough and understood enough that it was like, okay, I don't have yeah. to think about yeah. this too much. Yeah. It, it it just felt like. Um, and, and I follow him on Twitter, so I know he worked on this quite a bit. And, and he always talks about how many drafts he writes of his screenplays. But this kind of felt like the first draft, and it felt like it needed like another, another take, another polish, another cleanup. Um, a lot of really interesting ideas, some really great performances. He does some really fascinating camera work. Um, and then I also believe that like the 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 twist, as it were, um, didn't need to be a twist. Could have been a, just a major plot point in the film. Hmm. Like, like I, you brought up at one point where you said, like, had they introduced the explanation in the middle of the movie and then spent more time exploring yeah. it, I kind of would have liked that mm-hmm. as well, too. Because so much of how I was feeling about this movie hinged on what the explanation it was going to be. And I'm like, I kept, I said to Michelle multiple times, because there were times where she was like, I don't think this is working. And I was like, no, 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 I, do, I, I know what you're saying, but I just want to see what the explanation yeah. is. Because there's there is enough good things happening in it that I wasn't yeah. ready to yeah. dismiss it. I was never I bored. I loved his camera work. Yeah. No, I was never bored. Um, I loved his camera work. I thought it was some of the most aggressive and, yeah. and really stylish stuff that he's done. Yeah. Specifically, just basing it on his previous works. I thought a lot of the performances were really great. I think Thomas and McKenzie is coming on as uh, an amazing mm-hmm. performer to watch. Like She is just a powerhouse um, but then I thought some of the performances were a little bit over the top, you know, and, and some people looked like they maybe didn't fit in a hundred percent without naming names. Um, I kind of liked the body horror stuff, mm-hmm. uh, when that finally yeah. kicked in, I thought that was gruesome, uh, and, but in a way that it fits such the story. A cool, and so, um, uh, I won't say much, but what a cool way to use the concept of the film to create like a 
a monster like you know like to create like mm-hmm. a, a it's very much yeah. it, it, yeah, that yeah, moment yeah. feels like a horror movie yeah. tropey kind of moment and it's set up well yeah. with a with a throwaway line yeah and it's 100 percent like the movie's concept that's really clever mm. yeah yep so uh I, i'm i'm a little bit with jake not that it felt like a at one point michelle said this she was like this feels like a student film you know like a like a, a student filmmaker who was trying a lot of things you know and some of them worked great yeah. Uh, but some of them needed to be refined a little. Don't bit. you think it could, it could have been like a really cool, like sixty-minute short film, 100%. or like a like yeah. a four-episode limited series? See, yeah. I, I think what it explores is so interesting. I just wish we had more time with the exploration. That's that. That's what it comes down to. Is like what 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 it what it ends up saying, mm-hmm. and what it ends up doing. Um, to me, was more fascinating than than the lead up to it. I I really. I wish I could have spent another 45 minutes in the world after they reveal what's kind of going on. Like to me, I now knowing what's going on, I wish I, I could, I, there's so much to explore there. And I, and that's what like, I, I wonder if he'll do like a split glass thing with this where you can play around with, you know, you yeah. have to call it, you have to call the next movie older, older right? <laughs> oh. older. Has to be older. <laughs> it's the only way to do it. Um, a couple of things I want to mention specifically. Um, it's a it's it's a solid film. I, I think it's a solid film, but it doesn't it it, it 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 brings up questions that that I think could have made the film better had they been touched on more. And I think performance wise, is it Vicky Crepes or Cripes? Uh, I don't know how to pronounce her last name. She's from Phantom Thread. She was uh, Dale Day Lewis's um, love interest in don't the film, me. but she's also a phenomenal character. In Phantom Thread, outside of just being Daniel Day Lewis's love interest, her character was so strong and awesome that I think that you know she's an amazing actor. And there's no way M Night didn't see her in Paul Thomas Anderson's film and think I gotta have her in this. I mean, she's an incredible, incredible actor. She's great in the movie too. Um, and Thomason, I think, is the best performance in the movie, no question. Uh, shout out to the camera work, as you guys mentioned. Shot on 35 millimeter yep. film. Um, I loved, and I said this in my in our TV interview. One of the things I found interesting about the film was it made you lean into the frame a lot, um, which creates an immersive experience because as the characters are getting older, um, he shows you less and less of them uh, in introductory uh, shots. So like we know the character has gotten older, then we'll be behind their head and we don't know what they look like yet. And I found myself like leaning outside of the frame, like I want to see the rest of their head kind of thing. Um, And I think when a filmmaker can manipulate you like that, like Tarantino writes a great part of this in his new book about Roman Polanski and Rosemary's baby and a shot that was off center somehow. And it made the audience tilt their head away to look at the frame, even though in a weird way, you're not gaining any more frame by looking at things like that, but you're so sucked into the world that you forget you're watching a movie and you think you're there. And I think M. Knight did a really wonderful job of kind of making us feel that uncomfortableness. I would argue that he actually makes you feel the aging. Like you genuinely feel it in your bones as the characters are aging. Cause he does like this wicked stuff with the camera that makes you feel so um, disoriented that you almost start feeling what they may feel like in terms of the aging. So there's a lot in this film that I think is great. And I think it's definitely worth a watch. Um, there are problems, of course, and they, they didn't explore things that I wish they explored more. But I do think it's worth a watch. It's a solid effort in his filmography. Is it Sixth Sense? Is it Unbreakable? Is it Village level? For me, no. Um, but it's definitely uh, on a level where I think that people should definitely give it a chance. 
Um, I got to break in and let you guys know that we have some breaking news. Okay. Uh, Warner Brothers was casting their Batgirl movie, and they just tapped Leslie Grace, who plays Nina in In the Heights, wow. uh, to be the new Batgirl. So, huge promotion for her, staying in the Warner Brothers family, and uh, is now going to play a superhero. Beautiful. So, good for her. Yeah, it's a really great get. Uh, let's get to our uh, blend game, our weekly blend game, where we are getting away from directors and actors and going after a a moment uh or a scene. I love the or moment this ones. one in particular yeah they're fun they they shake things up a little bit and we're going after food scene food scenes uh that we love and so um jakey start us off what is your favorite hashtag food scene blend i also think i know kevin so i want to predict kevin's before i we, think i know um, kevin's yeah. also yes um i am going with uh one i think is a probably a fairly popular one but it's it's one of my all-time favorites it's the um the prison scene from goodfellas and oh, when okay. they're, you know, because it's also just the kind of the like the, the the dichotomy of this what could be in any other context a moment from like the most the, the most classy Italian restaurant you've ever been to, you know, like the just the perfect thin slicing of the garlic. You have Beyond the Sea playing in the background, and you know you have these guys that genuinely like like it's almost like. The scene is so well shot. It's almost like you could smell the food. Like every time I watch that movie, I feel like I can smell like the Italian food. That's you know because you know what Italian food smells like, and so it triggers that in you. That's how powerful it is. But you take that moment, this moment of like this incredibly like classy upscale cooking experience, and then you place it in prison. Like the mm-hmm. fact that these guys like they all got they all got banged and they're all like in the can, and it's just like. Yeah, this is this is our prison experience, and just the the way Scorsese shoots it and uses the music and kind of just the way he like presents both like the class of how they like it's an art form for them this this Itali- the cooking of the Italian food, but within the frame of you know uh, of prison, you know it's like it's like having you know, hanging a Van Gogh in a Walmart frame. It's it's like it's just this really uh, really incredible moment in the way it's acted, in the way it's shot, and the way it's edited together. Um, and it's my all time favorite. Kind of love that you're doing a Sopranos rewatch. Oh yes! Oh my God, I'm, it's so good. I'm doing it as well, and you're mm-hmm. ahead of me now. We're, okay, I, think I started it earlier. I'm episode five of season one. Okay, so. I'm I'm on three. Is of it season on HBO two. Max? Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. It has HBO Max. And the reason yes. I'm doing it is because at your suggestion, Sean, we were talking about Many Saints of Newark, um, yes. and I watched the sopranos live my parents let me like start it when it came out which means i was like 11 when i so i don't i don't it, it's almost especially the earlier seasons like i remember a lot of like what happens to everyone but sure. all the early stuff i don't really a lot of the stuff with uncle junior and his mother and all that sort of stuff i don't really remember oh, his all mother is the greatest oh my God. character oh she, she's what a so brilliant awful. actress do you know do, is yeah. she still with us no, I don't think she's so. She's a what I'm a pretty brilliant, sure brilliant actress she is. But yeah, if you if well, you it's it's we'll talk about many saints of Newark later. But the yeah. reason why I brought up Sopranos, I, I wasn't pulling it out of thin air. There's a lot of great food scenes. Yes, in the Sopranos. oh my god, yes. Um, and Gandolfini when he eats, it's like it's such a performance. Yeah, yeah. like he's it's amazing. like an art form watching him eat. It really, it, it is, it is. Yes, yeah, it, it, is. Is. <laughs> it really. By the way, Gandolfini um, is amazing am... in True Romance. It's a terrible character, a, a horrible human being, yeah. but a great performance. He's Great amazing actor. in, in yeah. general, yeah. everything. He's another. Did you, one did you ever meet him, Sean? I know. I know we're off topic. Did you no, ever meet him? No, yeah. I never got a chance to, unfortunately. Um, all right, I'm going with. Uh, I thought someone else would pick this too. Maybe Kevin will. I went, I'm going with uh, Anton Ego eating the ratatouille in Ratatouille, um, because cooking really for me is 
I could clearly, you can tell that food is a passion of mine. <laughs> what and, does that um, mean? Clearly, we can tell. And I love cooking. I mean, I'm bigger than you two waifs, essentially. <laughs> um, and so uh, I love cooking, and cooking makes me feel very emotional. Um, there's nothing more that I like than when someone enjoys something that I've cooked. It's like Justin Timberlake uh, in Pop Star. He's like, he puts his head out, and he's like watching Andy Samberg try the food, and he's like, is it good? That's it good? Dude, that is exactly <laughs> what it is. Like, I was at my in-law's house uh, for vacation when I got to hang out with the McCarthy's. And for whatever reason, my mother-in-law thinks that I'm the son-in-law who can grill. And I, I can. I like grilling. But so she'll give me, like, I, I took a picture of all the burgers and hot dogs I was making on the 4th of July. Uh, later on in the week, they, invent, they invited a lot of other people over. And my mother-in-law got, like, filet mignon from uh, Costco. And then they marinated it in something called Yoshida sauce, which is um like a Japanese. It's a little bit like a soy sauce, but it's sweet also to it. But then it burns really quickly on the grill. And, and the steaks that she gets, the flaming on, she gets are super thick. When you have an element that burns really quickly and you got to cook the steak all the way through, it's really hard. And it turned out great. I was so happy with the way that it turned out. And I was so guilty of like fishing for compliments. Like every time that, that uh, we came back around, I was like, how about those steaks, right? They turned out pretty good. And they were like, oh my God, they turned out so good. So I appreciate when you eat something and it brings you uh, a great memory. And I thought Ratatouille leading up to that point was good. You know, I thought it was good. I liked it. You know, I thought it was a little goofy the way that he was manipulating uh, the chef with his hair. And, you know, just the idea of a rat who can cook. I was like, this isn't like vintage Pixar. But then that moment kicked, you know, when the critic ate the ratatouille and he took him back to his childhood. That that resonated with me and blew me away. And I still think it's such a uh, it's such a heartwarming and uh, just an, an amazingly emotional scene uh, in that movie. And, and it reduces this character who's been a complete asshole for the entire time uh, to somebody that everybody can relate yeah. to. And so, uh, Peter O'Toole, right? Yes, Peter O'Toole. And again, perfect voice casting for it. And uh, so I've never seen that. I had another alternate, but I want to see what Kevin picks. I've never seen that. That's one of the only Pixar films I've ever seen, actually. It's really really good. No kidding. Yeah. Oh, wow. For some reason. Well, I just ruined it for you. (laughs) Spoiler alert. No, no, but I I genuinely, that's one of the only ones I missed. But no, I I want to hear your other one real fast, and then I'll give you mine. Well, I was going to pick um, the blueberry pie eating scene in Stan Oh, Oh. Because I think Gordy um, is such a brilliant storyteller, and I love that it's a kid at that stage who entertains his friends around a campfire by telling a story. And he's such a surrogate for Stephen King at that point. But I just think I love people who can tell a really good story. And that's what, like, I remember watching that as a kid and being horrified that that could even be in a movie. Because remember when Lardass yeah. finally turns and, like, barfs all over everybody? <laughs> and now you watch it and it's so over-the-top grotesque that it's funny. But at the time, I was like, how is this? How are they allowing this to be in a movie? It was this giant guy vomiting on everybody. Because, I, because I mean, you love it. I love the idea of that, like, that's how, like, you know, kids, you remember childhood memories differently than they probably mm-hmm. really happen. And there's a good chance that that's not how it happened. But that's his childhood memory of like that moment. You know, he probably to him it was, you know, in the same way when you go back to like the house you grew up in, you think like, oh, like this seemed bigger whenever I was a kid. Like moments yeah. have that ability too. Moments seem bigger and more extreme. That's why I, that's why yeah. I love the extremity of that that barfing moment. <laughs> Jake, guess Kevin's. I think it's um uh, uh the cheeseburger and the five dollar milkshake from Pulp Fiction. Yeah, it's, uh-huh. 100% accurate. Yeah. 100% accurate. Oh, wait, yeah. Kevin, Kevin, tell the story. Tell the story. Oh, about, about Tarantino. 
You got it. You got the, your question right. answered. So my, 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 after the show, I, the, that is my pick. Uh, my, my, my honorable mention was going to be the s'mores scene from Sandlot, um, which is yeah. just iconic. And speaking of barfing, when they put the chew in their mouth in that movie and they're all barf on the circular ride, that's a pretty, <laughs> and it just like just splatters on the ground. Um, so, all right. So I'll, I'll give my, I'll tell why. And then I'll tell the story. So Pulp Fiction to this day, I've never seen a, a hamburger look so appetizing that I did in Pulp Fiction. And it's, I don't know what it is about the way it's framed, but the way that shot looks. So basically for, I mean, I think everybody who's listening to the show has seen the movie, but it's fair. If you haven't, you, have you should stop yeah. this and go yeah. watch Pulp Fiction. But Samuel Jackson and John Travolta get to Brett's apartment and Brett's uh, the person they're there to kill, which by the way, for many years... I thought his name was Brad because of the way Sam. Brad, it's, yeah, it's yeah. the big Brad, brains on but Brad. It's Brad. Yeah, uh, it sounds like Jackson saying Brad. Um, and there, so he asks Brett what he's eating, and they're about to kill this guy, but he's like, <laughs> they're just having a conversation, and then there's a whole Bible verse, and then 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 they blow him away. But there's this burger that's sitting on Brett's plate, or or, or in in the in the burger wrapping, and it just looks so appetizing. He asked the guy if he could try it, and it's just like this beautiful shot of like a singular burger, and he picks it up, and the way he bites into it, there's something about that that I've always wanted to know what that tasted like. I mean, that must have been, I mean, I just wonder to this day, because the guy, Sam Jackson, bites into the burger, and I always imagine what that burger would taste like, kind of like Good Burger. Um, tasty. I believe he described tasty, it as tasty. Right. But I remember in Good Burger, I felt the same way, like with the way they frame those burgers. But the way Tarantino... We talk all the time of like when you see a fast food commercial and they show you like the Big Mac. Yeah. And you're like, it, it, it never, never looks, looks like, that. like that when you get any kind And I don't of even know what it is about the way the burger looked. It's probably more of the way Tarantino shot it and lit it because it just looked, it sure. just looked so appetizing. Yeah. So, well, because like you can see like, like the glistening of the cheese right. on the burger. Like, it's perfect. It's, yeah. Even, even the way. So tell him right, the but, origin. But, but even the, the way origin. Sam Jackson sips his Sprite, it's got, it, it, mm. it tastes like it must've been the best Sprite of all time. Just the way his face <laughs> as he goes and he finishes the Sprite. So Tarantino, after the event, we were done with the, the event um, at the New Beverly when we did the uh, two hour conversation with him on stage, which I can't believe that's even a real thing that happened, but it did. Um, after the event was over, he was signing books. I said, hey, I'd, I'd love to ask you this. I never asked you this before. I didn't have time to ask it in the Q and A. Um, but you know, where'd you get that burger from that was in Pulp Fiction? And he's like, oh, and then guys, clarify me if I'm wrong. He said, I had, I had a chef on set who put that burger mm -hmm. together and he went on to clarify that every single food scene in my movies should make you want to eat it. So if you're watching Bastards and there's that cream scene with the dessert that he's having yeah. with um, with Christoph Waltz, um, I want you to want to eat that. I want you to want to eat the mm -hmm. Durward Curry burger that, uh, that Uma Thurman orders at Jack Rabbit Slim's in Pulp Fiction. So... Speaking of that, the big Kahuna burgers in From Dust Till Dawn look kind of gross. Yeah, and, and, but that's Rodriguez. That's Rodriguez. Rodriguez. I guess Rodriguez shot it because just remember, like, like shits fall, yeah. and he, when he like sh like like takes Tarantino's hand and he like it's shoves gross. the burger it's in his like it's it's gross. But Rodriguez yeah. was also that was a nasty hotel room. I mean, I, I mean, Brett's yeah. apartment wasn't that yeah. nice either. But but I mean, yeah. but dude, one of the best questions you've asked in Real Blend history though was uh, 
Joey Pants and the stake oh, from the Matrix. Oh, that's right. Yes. Oh, that's a great answer. I, that would be a great answer, too. I forgot about the stake. He gave <laughs> yeah, a great yeah, yeah. answer. He was like, everybody came to set that day and watched me eat the steak. It was cool. Um, I think they were in some kind of high rise <laughs> in Pants. Australia or something. Yeah. They were, yeah. Um, yes, but just uh, Oh, he's good Bouncing, He is amazing. Bouncing off of the Pulp Fiction thing real fast. And then when you enter Jackrabbit Slim's, um, and Uma orders the $5 shake. Now, what's interesting about that scene is, I don't know that the shake necessarily looked any more appetizing than a shake I've ever seen before, but the context of the scene and how it's set mm-hmm. up and the way Travolta drinks it and the way he reacts to it, he's like, that's a pretty damn good milkshake. The way he says the line, and he can't even get the words out because it's so good. You know that that, 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 that shake probably tastes like a million dollars. Um, but there's just something okay. about it. So the burger in Pulp Fiction... While I don't think it's the greatest looking burger of all time, it's the way it's lit. It's the way it's designed. It's the context of the scene. Um, and I've always wanted to taste that burger. I always wanted to know what that burger tasted like. And we could, I guess we could ask Sam Jackson next time we talk to him yeah. what that burger tasted yeah, yes, like. Oh, so can I, can I do a quick honorable mention before we yeah. move on? My, my honorable mention is the uh, is the food fight scene from Hook. Oh, yeah. And yeah. like, because because you get all, it's a, it's, a, it's an empty table with all these like empty things, and Robin Williams doesn't know what the hell is going on, and then all of a sudden the moment where he believes, and they, they start taking the crap and just start chunking it. Oh, it's uh, I love Hook. I love Hook. I will defend Hook. That is a hill I will die I'm gonna on. I'm going to ruin Sean's pick, I, I think. It. Sean, I think one of the best ones that we were missing here is is just Chef. Those sandwiches. Well, well so, so, I mean, that whole Paul Marsh, oh my God. Oh. Paul Marsh and Carrie Case said literally the entire <laughs> Chef movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Was it a Cuban sandwich? Do not watch that movie hungry. Cuban yeah. sandwich? Yeah, oh my God. Well, he also makes a, a, a grilled cheese oh. uh, for Scarlett Johansson's <laughs> right. character. But they do make Cubanos, actually, yes, uh, in his food truck. So, uh, so many people pointed out the chef grilled cheese scene. Uh, Michael says the rice noodles from a film called The Flavors of Youth. Roman King says, mine has to be Dumb and Dumber, the laxative in the tea, <laughs> which also works. <laughs> that shake did look good, by the way. I mean, it, I mean, it did. He says... Uh, it also works for bathroom blend, right, Kevin McCarthy? Yeah, TV, of course it does. What was, what was the name? What was the was. name of the uh, laxative? It was like blowout central. Or, I don't remember what it was called. It was something like really. I don't remember. <laughs> uh, remember when did, we finally did bathroom blend? And I, Kevin, weren't you like so disappointed because none of us actually picked? Yeah. Like actual. We, yeah. we just picked you guys scenes all that took place. Forget what I picked. You, you were like, oh, like this scene takes place in a bathroom, so I'm going to go with Mission Impossible, where Henry Cavill's fighting. <laughs> that wasn't, it was completely against a good one. what bathroom Lem was supposed to be. <laughs> we took it yeah, too I, literal. To this day. If you can, if you can <laughs> yeah. green light shit blend, then we'll, we'll play that game. <laughs> <laughs> you guys do shit blend? Real, okay, okay. If that's not real blend out of context, I don't know what it is. There, there, there's your point for the week. Can green light shit blend? Can we do a Harold and Kumar style uh, called Battle Shit? Blend. Remember in Battle Shits they play? Well, oh my god. <laughs> the two girls oh in the god. bathroom. All right. Scott Frazier, uh, coincidentally, said when Harold and Kumar oh, finally oh, get to White Castle, so which is weird that that, fantastic Oh, dude, scene. when they eat those burgers. Oh. Yes. And uh, a lot of love from the, oh, oh, the hashtag Alita Army for the orange scene in Alita oh, Battle Angel. So I also would have talked about the chocolate in Alita Battle Angel since we did learn that Robert Rodriguez is a chocolatier. And he put it into a he put it into his film. So, thank you so much for all your participation this week. Uh, food scene blend uh, was a hit, and uh, some really great examples, even from the ones that we didn't pick. So, um, next week with Jungle Cruise on the horizon, we're going to be playing something that I'm very surprised we haven't played yet. Hashtag Dwayne Johnson blend. Yeah. 
Uh, so let us know your pick for your favorite movie by Dwayne using hashtag Dwayne Johnson Blend. Uh, you can use that on ha- on social media or email us at realblendedcinemablend.com. Yes, Jake. Uh, I don't know if you guys have already seen this. I just saw it was announced. Army of the Dead 2, Zack Snyder returning for at Netflix. No, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He also has that Army yeah. of Thieves. Yeah, the prequel, but this is apparently a sequel. Army of the Dead 2. No, yeah. kidding. Good yeah, for him. It. Hollywood Reporter. Good for him. Yeah. Yeah. He I, think, so I think he has found his new brothers. home. Good for him. Yeah, that's fantastic. All right, reviews for the show, uh, which you can also send at realblend.com. Uh, this one comes from Jonathan Dowdell, and he says, Good morning. I'll begin by saying that I had not listened to your podcast before yesterday when I saw on a website, can't remember which one, uh, mentioned that a podcast called Real Blend just released a live podcast with Quentin Tarantino. Hey, we did that. We did. Yes, we did do that. Uh, when I went to look for it and saw it was titled as Volume 3, I knew I couldn't start there, so I downloaded the first two. Uh, I listened to all three back to back to back. Yes, about five hours out of my day. They were absolutely fantastic. Thank you for such amazing episodes with my all-time favorite filmmaker. But to be completely honest, I think I enjoyed your pre- and post-interview excitement for what you had done more than the actual interview. I'd be the same way if I talked to Tarantino. Thanks again from a new listener. Cool. Uh, yeah, That's awesome. I have to agree that the the run-up <laughs> and the the post-game breakdown of all three of those episodes were were pretty entertaining, especially the second one. The second one had a lot of options. Yeah, volume yes. two was pretty insane. I like I, I love I love their <laughs> volume. And my favorite part about it is my, yeah, uh, that was that was a good call. Yeah, what that guy said is so great. Like if you see volume three, psychologically, you're like, where are the other two? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm so yeah, happy that, yeah, that, I can't that people are here. doing that. And unlike Kill Bill, they are three different podcasts. <laughs> yeah, it's three they separate. Three I'm actually going to release yeah. a compendium edition. It's going to be all of <laughs> the them. Whole just... All right, Gabe is going to release, like, whenever we're done with Real Blend, like, you know, 10,000 plus episodes, he's going to release them all into one long string and just call it the whole bloody yeah. affair. The whole blendy affair. Oh, oh. Thank you. Oh, you me. Well, I hate myself. <laughs> <laughs> that was so awful. That was so awful. All right. Well, thank you very much for that review. And welcome as a new listener. We're glad to have you here. Uh, our next premium episode is going to be a mailbag. But I'm also going to say mailbag. that the previous, the previous uh, premium uh, episode for that, that uh, new friend of the show that's listening was a breakdown of what happened for... Th- Volume three with some really good stories. Uh, again, you get access to uh, the Roblin Premium episodes at cinemablend.com backslash Roblin Premium. So we hope you guys enjoyed M Night this week. We have some really exciting guests on the horizon. Make sure you keep it here um, at Cinema Blend and Real Blend. Subscribe to the show. Uh, follow us on social media at Jake's Takes, at Kevin McCarthy TV, at Sean underscore O'Connell, at Gabe Kovach. And you can follow the show uh, at Real Blend. And we'll be back next week. Till then, Hook! Minority Hook. Report? Like Why is it? I haven't oh seen Hook yet. QB? Still haven't seen Dude, Hook. Dude, watch it. Watch hey, wait, it. You it's haven't seen Hook? Genius. It's genius. Oh. never seen Hook before, no. It's, it's oh, not genius. It is. Hook is very good. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 